0: B-F-F-T.
1: From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth.
2: You know, you get people all the time who tell you, hey, I, I love my job. I have the best job. It happened yesterday on the show. We were talking to uh, the beat reporter, Matt Prem, who covers the Oregon Ducks. That guy loves his job, he said. He said he loves his job. He, in fact, he loves it so much. Then when he got stuck in Eugene, trying to get to the Holiday Bowl, trying to get to San Diego, all this airline congestion and the mess with Southwest Airlines, he ended up jumping in a pickup truck rental car. Like, it's one thing to rent a car and drive it to San Diego. It's another thing to rent a pickup truck and drive it to San Diego. He loves his job. And I have to echo that. I thought about it yesterday. After he got off the the, uh, air, I was like uh, breezing through the show, 3 to 6 p.m., 6 p.m. hit, and like every show, I have leftover stuff. Do you ever have leftovers? Of course you do. Leftovers are the best. But leftovers on a radio show, it's not like you can eat them later in the evening. It's not like you can wake up and have cold pizza. No, we got, we got to deal with the leftovers sometime. And I had a whole bunch of things yesterday I wanted to get to. I'll get to them today in hour number one. So we'll be eating some leftovers, but it's good stuff, i got to tell you. Plus, we're going to visit with Big Dave. Dave Uyunglele, the father to DJ Uyunglele and uh, also uh, Mateo uh, Uyunglele, DJ and Mateo at Oregon, Oregon State, or vice versa playing football. He's got two kids in the state of Oregon. Big Dave will be joining us. He's an interesting figure. He is uh, a guy who has been highly involved in the development and recruiting of his sons. He and his wife have done a good job, uh, you know, raising two five-star prospects, one at quarterback, and the other guy, Mateo, could play tight end. Is he a five-star tight end? I'll ask Big Dave that if Oregon may put Mateo on the offensive side of the ball, too, instead of just making him an edge rusher. Is there any chance that he plays some offense? We'll talk to Big Dave about that. Plus, he was a bodyguard to the stars. Chris Brown, Rihanna, uh, Meek Mill. So we'll ask Big Dave how he got into that, what that was like, what is that world like. What did he learn in being a bodyguard to the stars, to rappers, musicians, singers, What did he learn there that he can pass forward to his sons now? I'm sure there were some connections, maybe some realization. Uh, Clearly, they do a good job on social media. But we'll talk to Big Dave, and that's what people call him, uh, coming up at 4 o'clock. I want you here for it. If you have a Duck fan or a Beaver fan who's a friend of yours, your duty right now is to shoot a text message saying, hey – DJ and Mateo's father's coming on the BFT at 4 o'clock. You might want to tune in. Shoot a text to your favorite Duck fan, Beaver fan, that uh, just popped into your mind when I said that. So many leftovers to deal with on today's show. One of them is a ticked-off former assistant at Washington State. Brian Ward was the defensive coordinator at Washington State. I thought he did a good job at Washington State, but let's make no mistake. He is calling the plays and calling the defense that Jake Dickert, the head coach at Washington State, had dictated to him. And, and granted, Dan Lanning did the same damn thing at Georgia, right? He was Kirby Smarts, the head coach. It's he also Kirby Smarts' defense. Dan Lanning is recruiting, and he's helping execute and call Kirby Smarts' defense at Georgia. Uh, same thing happening at Washington State this last season, as Brian Ward, the defensive coordinator, was under Jake Dickert. Uh, Ward has left Washington State. He is going to Arizona State to be part of Kenny Dillingham's staff at ASU. And by the way, Kenny Dillingham said in his introductory news conference that he was going to go local. He was going to go farm fresh. You know, when you go to like a farmer's market in your local area, or maybe you're on vacation, you stop by a farmer's market and you say, oh, this is all local produce. Look, this is just grown down the street, whatever. That's what Kenny Dillingham's trying to do with his staff at Arizona State. We're going to talk to Dillingham on Friday's show. He will be here Friday. So um, Dillingham said in his introductory news conference he wanted to recruit the Phoenix area. He wanted to get back to home. He's going home. He was looking for other homegrown coaches, so to speak. So I thought it was really interesting when I reported recently that Ward's hiring by Kenny Dillingham was part of that. And clearly, uh, I think if you are an Arizona State fan, you like this because you are looking at uh, the uh, possibility that Kenny Dillingham is going to stick to his word and he's going to hire former high school coaches in the Phoenix area, in the Scottsdale area, people who have connections to Arizona State. Uh, By and large, Kenny Dillingham making it about Arizona State. But I also reported that Brian Ward, who grew up in the area, uh, in the Glendale area, he was born there, he's native to Arizona. Brian Ward was going home and Brian Ward, part of Brian Ward going home was that uh, he is going to um, get a chance to call his own defense. Now, Brian Ward has subsequently come out and said, hey, no, that's not true, that's not accurate, this isn't about me shaping and calling my own scheme. Um, you know, and, and look, he can say that, but just like Dan Lanning being under Kirby Smart, just like uh, you know an offensive-minded coach uh, at Oregon, the offensive coordinators, Uh, under Mario Cristobal, or the offensive coordinator even under Chip Kelly, better example, you know you're calling Chip Kelly's offense. Mark Helfrich was calling Chip Kelly's offense with maybe some of his fingerprints on it. Like maybe Helfrich was wanting to throw the ball a little more than Chip Kelly was comfortable with. But it was Chip Kelly's offense all the way, 100%. Uh, You know, Scott Frost, same thing, was Chip Kelly's offense, 100%. So Brian Ward has come out and he said, you know, it's not accurate, this isn't about me calling my own scheme, this is about me just getting closer to home. He says it's not about the money. It's not about the money, it's getting closer to home. I, I take a little offense at that because I think it insults our intelligence, and I don't think it's accurate. And I think we all understand that, you know, even people who may be on this radio show over the years, the you know, John Strong, who once sat in the seat that Stephen sits in today, John Strong now calling World Cup games the voice of American soccer. Like, I was never under any illusion that, uh, you know, the influences of other people certainly are within this radio show, but I'm not under the illusion that the people who work on this radio show and have worked on this radio show over the years don't want to go and do their own thing, don't want to host their own show, whether it be, you know, after this show's over, before this show's over, on the weekends. They You know, everybody's got ambition, and Brian Ward is no different. So I got to thinking, like, what is this about? That Brian Ward wants it out there that this isn't about him shaping and calling his own scheme. And to me, it comes back to he doesn't want to burn the bridge with Jake Dickert at Washington State. And I understand loyalty. But I also think, I understand ambition. And I understand human nature. And I understand when you're making $650,000 a year and you're in Pullman, Washington, at Washington State, calling a defense under a head coach who is a defensive-minded head coach, you're not really calling your own defense. You're living in Pullman, Washington, and you're making $650,000 a year, and all of a sudden here comes Kenny Dillingham and Arizona State, and they want to bump you up to $950,000 a year in your average year, and they want to pay your $450,000 buyout. And by the way, those two things happened. I'm told by both Arizona State and Washington State. So I understand this, all of this, and I'm I'm I was puzzled today when I got a call and they said, "Hey, Brian Ward, not happy about you reporting that he wants to call his own defense." I'm like, he doesn't want to call his own defense. Like he just wants to. He was he still want to call Jake Dickert's defense and go to Arizona State. Like it just it insults our intelligence when and it insults common sense really when you start talking about coaches wanting to do their own thing i want that ambition i want will stein going to oregon and going hey i want to call my own offense and oh by the way i love being an offensive coordinator uh, for a head coach who's a defensive-minded head coach it means i'm going to get autonomy i'm going to get to call the offense i want to call i love the idea that at, you know trent bray at oregon state is getting to call his defense not his head coach's defense, and we know that because Jonathan Smith is an offensive-minded guy, and of course he's going to have input into what Oregon State does on the defensive side of the ball, but he's got a defensive coordinator that he trusts, that he's hired, that he's placed the defense in his hands, and let's go see what happens. On yesterday's show, we sort of ended by talking about the Blazers and stuff and I looked down my sheet of paper and I said oh man I had this Washington State thing I wanted to talk about and you know cuz I didn't know how much maybe duck fan, maybe beaver fan, maybe casual observer who doesn't have a dog in the fight fan cares about what's going on at Washington State but there's a little bit of a there's a little bit of wobbling going on inside Jake Dickert's program and it's not unlike the wobbling that you see inside of a lot of programs year to year when you go conference to conference, especially if it's not a destination program. And Washington State, I think, has done a nice job in recent years becoming more of a destination, but Jake Dickert right now is in a critical time where he's got to go out and he's got to make a hire that helps him on the defensive side of the ball, and he is zeroing in on an offensive coordinator hire that should help him on the offensive side of the ball. But uh, nobody's under any illusion that these coordinators – don't have ambition and don't want to go on and be head coaches themselves. See Kenny Dillingham to Arizona State. So why are we pretending that these coaches uh, aren't aren't uh, I, I infected with ambition? Hell, I want. I would if I'm Dan Lanning, I want my coordinators to want to be head coaches someday. I don't want to look over and go. I want to see you there 15 years from now, calling the same defense. No, I want. I want ambition in those in those position coaches. We got a great show today. We're going to talk all about the Pac-12 conference. Big bowl game coming up with the Ducks. I got some thoughts on Bo Nix I want to share in the next segment. I'll take your phone calls as well. 503-417-7575 is a number. I want you to tell me, as you look across the Pac-12 conference, as you see 2023 already shaping up. What do you like that you see from your team? How fun will it be with Oregon and Oregon State? And do you have concerns, if you're a Beaver fan, about Oregon State losing so much veteran talent? And do you have concerns about Dan Lanning's coaching in year number one? Do you? I want to talk next about Bo Nix in this Holiday Bowl we're going to see. you got the BFT statewide. Leave it here.
1: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
2: Well, it'll be Bo Nix, a quarterback for Oregon in the Holiday Bowl. I'll tell you what I'm looking for. I don't know what you're looking for, but I I don't need to see Bo Nix run a whole bunch of times. I don't need to see him with 12 carries for 80 yards rushing the football. I don't want to see that. In fact, I, I yeah, I, I just don't need him carrying the ball a whole bunch of times because I don't think winning the Holiday Bowl is like going for a national championship, and it's certainly not a Rose Bowl, and it's not even a semifinal game or... Uh, Hell, it's not even the Alamo Bowl. So I am fascinated to see what he's going to look like a month removed from the last time we saw Bo Nix hobbling around. He wasn't very mobile in the last couple of games. Uh, We still don't know what the injury was exactly. We're told that it's mostly healed, whatever it was. Uh, Likely a high ankle sprain. Oregon's not talking about it. It's a state secret. Bo Nix not talking about it. Uh, Dan Lanning, the coach at Oregon, said he expects... Bo Nix to play some of his best football in the bowl game coming up later today. Now I'm intrigued to see what that looks like, but I just want to see Nix mobile. That's it. I just want to see that he can attack, that he looks mostly healthy. I don't want Oregon to leave this bowl game, win or lose, with questions about Bo Nix's ankle still looming. Is he healthy? Is it gonna? Is this a? Uh, a nagging injury they're going to have to worry about next year. I don't want any of that question out uh, up in the air. I just want to see that he's mobile against a Carolina defense that is not very scary. They won't have three-quarters of their defensive backfield. They've been a bad defense all year. I just want to see a performance from Bo Nix that does not leave a lingering question into the spring. Uh, and I also think, like, I was out when... Recruiting early signing day hit and all that. Dante Moore going to UCLA, not Oregon. All that happened. Uh, you know, Apologies to Dante Moore, but I wrote this today at JohnKonzano.com. The return of Bo Nix was the best news Oregon could have got in this December signing period window. Like Bo Nix saying, I'm coming back just a couple of days before the window open, was a tremendous uh, get for the Ducks. The second best news would be Nick's in this bowl game, this holiday bowl coming up, being able to attack the line of scrimmage, uh, run the football a couple times. That's all I want to see. I just want to go, okay, he's okay. That's all I need to see. Now, Oregon's run game in this bowl game should mostly be running backs carrying the ball. But I want to see Bo Nix you know, operating out of play action. I want to see him moving in the pocket. I want to see, you know, in a couple situations, just to keep the defense honest, him to put the ball down and run, and I want to see that he looks better than he did after getting injured in the Washington game. Uh, Found some stats. Pac-12 has a guru who uh, pours over the stats and got some some, uh, information, some data from the Pac-12 office today on quarterbacks in the conference. Bo Nix was the Pac-12's highest-rated passer this season on play-action passes. Nobody was better. He completed 74.4% of play-action passes. His passer rating on play-action passes was 202. It's ridiculous. Nobody was better. Caleb Williams was not better. Michael Penix Jr. was not better. Bo Nix was better than anybody on play-action pass. So I'm interested to see the Oregon run game, Bo Nix, play-action pass. I think Oregon's going to beat North Carolina I don't think they're going to cover the spread, but I think that has more to do with Oregon's defense than it does the offense. No DJ Johnson, no Noah Sewell, no Christian Gonzalez. They're all opting out, and uh, I think Oregon on the defensive side of the ball, they're going to be in a little bit of trouble against Drake May. The ACC Offensive Player of the Year threw for 4,000 yards and 35 touchdowns. I think you're going to see the ball in the air a whole bunch. I think you're going to see about 75, 76 points in the game. I think Oregon's going to win it. I don't think they're going to cover the 14-point spread, but I think Oregon wins the game, gets the Holiday Bowl win. The only question is, do they get the Holiday Bowl record for total points scored in a game? It's 91. I have this thing around 76, 42, 34, something like that. But uh, BYU beat SMU. 46-45 Forty six, forty five in nineteen eighty in the Holiday Bowl. Uh, that's the record for most points scored in a Holiday Bowl. Keep an eye on that if that gets out of hand. What are you guys looking for as Oregon and North Carolina kick off uh, this bowl game at five o'clock?
3: Yeah, I'm with you. I, I just don't want Bonics to get you know seriously hurt at all because it is big news that he's coming back. I think that he announced he's coming back for next season. You do want to see that that ankle is healthy and ready to go for next season, but at the same time. Like, let's not overreact to whatever happens. Whether the Ducks score 50 today or they score 20 and they lose, we can't overreact to going into the next season because there's a lot of things that are coming into play. With Kenny Dillingham leaving, a lot of uncertainty just on the offensive side and the defensive side. It, it, for me, I just, again, like you said, I just want to see Bo Nix healthy and out there uh, making some plays, but I'm not taking too much away from this game because that's I think we go wrong with that in the bowl games. When we take too much into it where both teams are missing guys, missing coaches, and it's tough to say, so uh, yeah, Bo Nix, get healthy, and uh, stay healthy, that's all I need.
4: Well, I mean, I think it's going to be no surprise if we see a lot of points scored tonight, but I'm looking for Oregon after the defensive issues they had. I'm not looking for them to even play a complete defensive game, but I just want to see a couple really good series on that end of the ball, something to feel good about going into next year. Uh, Duck fans were so hyped on the defense coming into this season, and, and I mean, they had their moments, but for the most most part, it was not good. So I just want to see a few stops, maybe forcing a couple turnovers, but just some consistency there.
2: The or, Oregon's biggest sin this season was I felt that they did they had a defensive head coach in Dan Lanning. I think they had some good defensive players. We were all talking at the beginning of the year at how good Oregon's linebackers were going to be. Uh, you know, they had Christian Gonzalez, you know, coming in, that how good they were going to be on defense, DJ Johnson and they laid an egg, and they were so bad on the defensive side of the ball that I think Dan Lanning, at the end of the season, and last two or three games, other than maybe the Utah game where they played really opportunistic, I thought, Dan Lanning conceded on a couple of fourth down and ones that he had no faith in his punter, and he had no faith in his defense. Those sins have to be fixed by next season. So... You know, as I watch this Holiday Bowl, I'll be looking for Bo Nix to attack the line of scrimmage. But to Peter's point, I want to see some of these young guys on the front seven because we're going to see some faces and names. Here's some names we haven't seen much of this season that are going to play in in you know replacement of Oregon's defend, defenders that are out. Uh, I want to see a couple of those guys that make you go, hey, I can't wait to see that guy next year. Is that fair? I think it's definitely fair. And uh, you know, Dan Lane had a quote earlier in the
3: week about that same exact thing when he was at Georgia, Elise um, O'Jolari who's now on the Giants, same type of thing. He he came in basically as a freshman, hadn't played all season, came into I believe the Sugar Bowl and had a great sugar bowl and you're like, Well, who is this guy? Oh, and now he became a you know, a draft pick and then the NFL and he even said, Yo, it's it's a beginning for a lot of these players is this bowl game and so I think you're. I think it's fair for that. You know, you want to see these recruits that they've brought in. Mario Cristobal brought in a great recruiting class, and you want to see what they got. Damian has kept it going, so you do want to see these young guys make some plays because you know ultimately this is the future. Like the transfer portal has changed the game. Definitely, you can go out and get guys, but at the same time, you still need to build with from from within. And the Ducks have all this talent. You want to see what it could do.
2: And you look, we saw Oregon State dominate their bowl game against Florida. I don't think tonight Oregon North Carolina and the Holiday Bowl is going to have that same feeling. But I think Oregon can get a win, can get to ten. Dan Lanning uh, talked to reporters about why bowl games are so special. Um, you know, and, and to your point, here's the clip you were talking about, uh, Stephen.
3: As coach said, bowl games are special um, for a lot of reasons, but certainly, you know, this is going to be the beginning for some young players' careers. right. I remember not too long ago being at Georgia, and and Aziz Ojolari's very first experience in a game was really in the Sugar Bowl, right? And then a couple of years later, he's a draft pick, but really didn't play at all as a freshman, you know, in our time at Georgia, and then, you know, grows into a guy that's able to make a tremendous impact. On the same note, this is an exit, you know, for some guys that have been part of our program for so long, and Alex Forsythe, Ryan Walk, some of those guys that – so this can be a beginning, this can be an end for a lot of players. Um, But it certainly means a lot to families, and especially when when a game like this happens around the holidays, uh, you hope you get to share it with more people than just yourself. You know, to to be in a bowl game, to play against a team uh, so impressive as North Carolina, uh, and then to be able to share those moments with your family I think are are really special.
2: Look, Oregon is playing North Carolina. Uh, I think there's going to be a whole bunch of points scored. I think it's going to be fun. Uh, I don't think it's going to be the best Pac-12 bowl game. Because you got Washington, Texas in the Alamo Bowl tomorrow, 6 o'clock on ESPN. On Friday, uh, you got UCLA and Pitt playing an early game in the Sun Bowl. And then on Monday, you have USC Tulane in the Cotton Bowl and Utah Penn State in the Rose Bowl. Guys, which game is the best game as you look at those bowl games? Which game, if you could only watch one, which game are you watching? You know, I actually think I
3: might pick the Oregon-North Carolina game. And I think just because what you said, it's going to be really high scoring. I think that is, you know, if it's low scoring, it's going to be a very, very, very big shock to me. Like, this is going to be at least exciting on the offensive side of the ball where I look at the Rose Bowl and Utah-Penn State. That could be more of a defensive uh, slog and just kind of slow it down. And I would have said USC-Tulane. But I don't know what I'm going to get from USC. So uh, I'm actually going to go with this Oregon game. I'm excited to watch it. It seems like it should be a very exciting game, a lot of points. Um, and I think it's going to be a lot closer than the spread uh, indicates.
4: See, I'm going with the Rose Bowl. Uh, Utah, such a great team. Obviously, they earned their spot there with the way they handled USC. And Penn State, to me, I mean, they're a mystery. Great record, tough conference. But you look at their wins, yeah, they're convincing. But those are not necessarily great teams. I'm just, I think there's a lot of intrigue there. I'm looking forward to it.
2: Yeah, their only two losses are to Michigan and Ohio State, have not beat a ranked team. Uh, I don't know if you can hold that against them, because they can only play who they play, but Utah, to me, so much of the Utah story is about, it, it. you know, there's a narrative, it's theater, it's Cam Rising, it's, you know, two really tragic deaths that they had in the last, uh, you know, 18 months, and a team that, you know tried to put the pieces back together last year and won a conference championship and then got to the Rose Bowl and got beat by Ohio State and then they said there was unfinished business and they came back and and I was there you know as they played a very emotional game in October against USC and it was like it was like their bowl game and they were at Rice-Eccles Stadium and they win that game and then you know there's some chaos in the conference they fight their way back in they get to the conference championship game and again it's a huge game and they show up for a huge game. They beat USC to advance to the Rose Bowl again. It just feels like the story for Utah ends with a Rose Bowl championship in probably a really hard-fought game that's decided by a field goal. And, you know, Cam Rising after the game takes his helmet off and says, I'm coming back for another year. I mean, that's just kind of what Utah does. It's like there's this – this. it's like a movie watching their football season. Last couple of years, it's just been like watching a movie. So I don't blame you for wanting to watch that game. It's on my list. It it might be the best game of all the games that we're going to see. But if I can only watch one, I kind of want to – like, if I – I kind of want to, like, be a voyeur on this USC Tulane Cotton Bowl. Like, it's Monday. It's 10 a.m. So you know, you got Tulane, who really wants to be in the bowl game. you got USC, I don't know if they want to be there. No Jordan Addison. It feels like a trap game, as Andrew Vories and uh, Brett Nealon, two of their offensive linemen for USC, are also opting out to go to the draft. And then Raylan Goforth, their stud linebacker, jumped in the transfer portals going to Washington. I kind of feel like USC's going to show up and go through the motions, and Tulane's going to be there like... This is our Super Bowl, and I kind of want to tune in to watch the mismatch of an American Athletic Conference team that's really good and dangerous against a super talented USC team that's got a bunch of guys who are going to play in the NFL, including Caleb Williams, and see how that you know that experiment comes together. So I would tune into the Cotton Bowl Monday, 10 a.m. I guess if I could only watch one game. The game I'm least interested in, I got to be honest, is Friday's Sun Bowl, UCLA and Pitt. I just UCLA to me, you know. I get it. Dorian Thompson Robinson's gonna be there. Zach it's gonna be there. They're gonna suit up and play. But I'm just not so sure UCLA the way they finished the season is excited about being in El Paso. And Pitt is playing without their quarterback. They're both they're both playing like you know down a bunch of players. I just I'm not sure that. That's just a game, like, if you're a better, I stay away from that game. I pick UCLA to win it, but I don't feel great about it because I think if UCLA doesn't show up locked in, Pitt could get them.
3: John, speaking of that uh, USC-Tulane game, if it goes the way you think it does and Tulane comes out and they beat USC, do you think that will affect the preseason perception of USC?
2: I don't think so because I think people will dismiss it as, you know, it's not a playoff game, players opted out, no Jordan Addison you know, how locked in was Caleb Williams, you know. And here, here's another thing. I won't be surprised if Caleb Williams doesn't play the whole game. And, and I just mean that in if he's back there, Utah sacked him seven times. USC can't put Caleb Williams in that position, you know, risking injury to him. So if it's that kind of game – I would expect, like, maybe Lincoln Riley gives a couple of series to the backup quarterback, and, and, you know, they go, hey, this is a Cotton Bowl, it's a big deal to us, but this isn't like playing in a Rose Bowl. It's not like being in the playoff. I I think, you know, you run that risk in all of these bowl games. You even run that risk in the Sun Bowl with UCLA. Chip Kelly's saying these guys are going to play. Dorian Thompson Robinson, oh, he's going to play. He's practicing. He's taking all the snaps. I don't know if I trust any of these guys anymore because they're not – they're not honest with us when it comes to injuries. I don't know if they're going to be honest with us when it comes to, like, why is Dorian Thompson Robinson, why is Jack Charbonnet playing in this Sun Bowl? Like, it it doesn't make sense to me that they're playing in it. I want to give them credit for it. And if they show up and they're locked in, they're going to run away with it. That's why I picked UCLA to win. But I don't, I don't trust it when I look at that Sun Bowl.
3: And to your point... Uh, Tulane, they already beat Kansas State at Kansas State, a team that's playing in the Sugar Bowl. So, like, this Tulane team is a very dangerous team. So, if USC doesn't show up and they don't really care, like, this could be a, it could be a win for Tulane very easily, like you said.
2: Yeah, I, I just think, uh, you know, you got a Tulane team that's really good. Nobody wants to play them. You know, it's a lot like Fresno State playing Washington State in the LA Bowl. Uh, you know, one of those teams really wants to be in the game, and the other one's going, eh, you know, it's not what we had in mind a month ago. Uh, Leave it here. You got the bald-faced truth statewide.
1: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750, The Game.
2: I'm not one of these people that looks down upon the bowl games. A whole bunch of sports media and some sports fans who look at the bowl games and go, hey, they don't matter. They're not part of the playoff. You don't matter. You know, look at Oregon State's win in the Las Vegas Bowl and tell me that the bowl season doesn't matter. Look at Tulane's eyes when they come out of the tunnel in the Cotton Bowl. Tell me the bowl season doesn't matter. You know, I'm I'm excited. we got some football this week. The Pac-12's got five games in six days coming up, including today's Holiday Bowl between Oregon and North Carolina, Washington and Texas in the Alamo Bowl tomorrow. UCLA-Pitt on Friday. Um, Monday, we have the, U- the Cotton Bowl with USC and Tulane. And then uh, Monday afternoon, it's Utah and Penn State and the Rose Bowl. I mean, we've got all of these games. They matter. But what is going to happen to the college football bowl season? Or what should happen to the bowl season? I want your theory on it. Should it go away? Should it become part of the playoff? Should it become a consolation tournament like the NIT is in basketball? I'm going to throw something out because I do think that the playoff, when it expands to 12, is going to take some luster from the bowl games. But I don't think the bowl games are going to go away. The bulk of them will not go away. And the reason why I think they won't go away is because ESPN owns 17 of them. So ESPN has uh, created these bowl games in some cases – or purchased these bowl games in other cases because they need inventory. They need content for the month of uh, December and into January. They need content. And if you watch the Vegas Bowl, I made this point to my daughter who was tuned into the Vegas Bowl. She goes to Oregon State. She was tuned in, locked in, watching the Vegas Bowl. Uh, and, And I made this point to her. I said, see how many times... ESPN and the broadcast of the Las Vegas Bowl, which they own, how many times do the broadcasters talk about other bowl games that ESPN owns, including the college football playoff? It came up over and over and over again. There were several lulls in the game in which the broadcast team directed the energy of the broadcast or the focus of the broadcast to the other ESPN bowl games, Sometimes they popped up as promos. Other times they ran uh, B-roll video, and they said, oh, I can't wait to see Ohio State play. I can't wait to see Georgia play. Look at Michigan. Look at TCU. Oh, this is going to be great. We all saw it, and a lot of us probably noticed it, and maybe some others didn't notice because they don't just, you know, they they don't try to be subtle about it, and they're not exactly hitting you over the head, but they're kind of hitting you over the head with the promotion of their other events. So the reason why I don't think – at least 17 or 20 of these bowl games are going anywhere is because I think ESPN knows they're very lucrative. They know they can invite North Carolina. They can invite a six-win Florida team. They know they can invite uh, you know a, a Tulane team or a Texas team or a Washington team that might not be in the playoff and that those teams are happy to go play in the bowl game, happy to receive the money that comes with playing in the bowl game, and also those bowl payouts go to the conferences. The conferences are not going to want to give those up either. So I don't think the bowl games are going to go anywhere. But how do you make them more meaningful, or how do you assign value to these games that have, you know, limited interest? It, you know, outside of maybe the two teams that are playing and some people that are starving to see a football game, I don't think people are going to be humming to tune in to the Oregon-North Carolina Holiday Bowl or even the Alamo Bowl with Washington Texas tomorrow. But ESPN's got that game tomorrow, that Alamo Bowl game, and you better believe if you watch that Alamo B- Bowl game tomorrow with Washington, Texas, you better believe that they're going to promote their college football playoff games. They're going to promote the other bowl games that they own. They're going to start they're going to talk about the Cotton Bowl. They're going to talk about the Rose Bowl. They're going to talk about the playoff. Because ESPN has the broadcast of the Cotton Bowl and the Rose Bowl. They're just going to promote, promote, promote. So I don't think the games are going away. Because I think there's too much money involved for ESPN, there's too much money involved for the conferences. But what do we do, guys, to make these games matter more? Should they become part of the playoff? Uh, If they do become part of the playoff, does that cannibalize those playoff games and those opportunities? Like, I just kind of think the conference championship games, even though they don't feel all that meaningful moving forward with an expanded playoff. I think they're going to stay because there's money attached to them in the TV deals that the Big Ten, the SEC, the Pac-12, Big 12 all have these conference championship games. They've sold the broadcast rights for them. They're not giving that money back. I think the bowl games, the minor bowl game season, will still continue to exist. But what do we do to make the bowl games more meaningful? Got any ideas of spitball? Yeah, I
3: think this is tough. I mean, I I don't really know how to make it more meaningful because – as you said, the playoff has taken so much out of it, where now teams and schools, you look at like an Alabama, they're not in the college Bowl playoff. They're all disappointed, right? But, yeah, they're still in the Sugar Bowl, going to be playing in front of a huge audience, playing against a Kansas State team who's really good. Yeah, I mean, I just don't know how you're going to make it more valuable for that team to get there. But I do think that, you know, when you're not one of the top echelon teams, you're not an Alabama, you're not a Georgia, you, know, you are Oregon State, you're Washington State, These bowl games do matter, and it can really put a nice cap on the season for your fans and build a lot of momentum going into the next season. So I I don't know exactly how to make them more important, but I do think that they have some importance – just for momentum-wise, and just kind of you know put a nice bow on the end of the season.
4: Yeah, I, I don't think you can make it more important. But one thing you can do is, and I know we've kicked this around on the show before, is uh, giving the players a little piece of the pie, a little piece of the action. Mm-hmm. So even if the game doesn't have importance per se like it used to, it's going to be just a more watchable game. You assume that that'll bring a lot of these guys back. I mean, you look at, you know, in the Vegas Bowl where Florida had – what do they have, like 25 guys not playing? Well, maybe they can actually have most of their starting lineup. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily matter on the national stage, but it's it's a lot more watchable for fans of college football.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, I've heard some people say, create an NIT tournament. I, I just don't think there's an appetite to see sort of the six and seven win teams play multiple games. Like, you know, I don't in basketball, it's much easier to do that. In football, I think everybody kind of wants to see them one more time, let the seniors play who want to play, and then get about things. But I just think it's okay. Like what we saw in the Vegas Bowl, it wasn't perfect. Florida had like 40 players who didn't show up. Anthony Richardson, their great quarterback, didn't play. Oregon State beat florida's brains in but i think it was entertaining it was compelling in its own way because it was sort of this celebration of oregon state getting to 10 wins and oregon state beating an sec opponent like history will not remember that there weren't 40 players to play and, and i get it like casual observers are like this game wasn't the best game florida wasn't at full strength well that's kind of what bowl games are going to be and i have uh, you know minor bowl games and I have peace with that. I think people need to find peace with it. And I don't think we need to, to create a tournament for everybody who doesn't make the playoff. I, mean, I think it's in 12 is enough. And then I think this stable of like 17 or 20 other bowl games are going to continue to exist. Now, I, I'm hesitating to believe that any of the college football playoff tournament games, the 11 games that will be played to determine the national champion in a 12-team playoff... I'm hesitant to assign any of those to a bowl game because I think the college football conferences are going to go, no, 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 that's new inventory. We need to monetize that in a way that has not previously been monetized. We do not want to absorb uh, the Vegas Bowl as an opening round game in a 12-team playoff unless ESPN is cool with that. But I think it, it creates a little issue because it creates ESPN losing a bowl game. It it's a loss of opportunity for a team like Oregon State or Florida who played in a Vegas Bowl, and I think that there's an appetite for that stuff. And, and certainly in mid December, early bowl season, uh, people tuned in to watch the Oregon State game. I tuned in to watch the Oregon State game. I everybody wanted to, you know to see if Oregon State would get to ten wins. So I say leave it alone. Our big splash is coming up. You got the BFT.
1: You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
2: Big Dave's coming up just a few minutes. If you're an Oregon fan, Oregon State fan. If you're an Oregon fan, you are probably thrilled with Mateo Uyunglele coming to the University of Oregon. If you're an Oregon State fan, you probably love that DJ Uyunglele is coming to Oregon State. Uh, but Big Dave is their dad former bodyguard, bouncer, uh, parent who has helped develop two-star athletes. I kind of think DJ, five-star quarterback, getting uh, a rebirth at Oregon State. Mateo, just a freak athlete, physical, big, fast, probably a five-star guy on both sides of the ball, frankly. Getting an opportunity at Oregon State on the defensive line will undoubtedly play right away and uh, a big get for dan lanning's staff but we'll talk to big dave Uyunglele coming up and uh we'll ask him if i'm pronouncing his last name right among other things what questions do we have for big dave guys uh when it comes to his kids and uh everything else going on i want to know what
3: his what his uh presence was known about oregon state before dj committed there you know, I know he's they're from the West Coast, but you know, he goes to Clemson in Oregon State, you know, probably never really on the map for him in his high school recruiting. You know, what what they, what was their thought before and now that they're there at Oregon State? Just what are their thoughts about Corvallis?
2: Okay. Okay, got that. How about you, Peter? You yeah. got
4: one? Uh, yeah, I want to know about his experience uh, providing security for the stars. Maybe not, you know, actual in-person altercations, but look how often are threats coming down for, you know, some of these famous pop stars? There's a lot of crazies out there. I bet he's got some stories.
2: I need to know how he got his start. Like, how do you become a bodyguard for Rihanna?
4: Big like, and tough. How do tough.
2: Like, how do you, like, you look at him like Big Dave you know six four three seventy okay and can dunk a basketball so really good athlete then steven give me an idea when you see a 370 pound guy who can <laughs> drop step dunk that's an athlete
3: yeah you are uh, you're frightened you're frightened right away because not only will <laughs> they just like they'll dunk on you
2: they'll shove you out of the way
3: and then they will uh, just slam the ball through the hoop on you so yeah it's gonna
2: hurt in like four different ways I'm going to ask him about that as well, dunking. But if you got a question that I should ask uh, Dave Uingale, you uh, let me know. You can tweet at me at John BFT. I'll pick a couple of good questions from listeners that I will ask and work in there. Uh, and tell your Duck fan, Beaver fan friends to get here as he'll be joining us here in just a few minutes. I just texted him. I said, uh, uh, you know, start warming up. Start stretching out. You're on deck. Uh, Dave will be coming up here, top of the hour, and joining us. Every day on the show... We do a Big Splash. It is the one thing that you need to know.
1: This <laughs> is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. it Where? down there. The Big Splash!
5: Well,
2: the Raiders have benched Derek Carr. They're going to go with Jarrett Stidham against the 49ers. Raiders benching Carr. First-year coach Josh McDaniels announced that today. I got uh, you know I've seen Jarrett Stidham play over the year. There's nothing personal here, nothing against him, but uh, get him starting against the 49ers and that defense at Allegiant Stadium uh, with Chase Garbers, the undrafted rookie free agent, as your backup. Uh, you know Derek Carr feels like he would uh, be the better option. ESPN reporting that the Raiders made this move in part to maintain Carr's health and keep their options open for the off season, Feels to me like they're saying, we're going to trade this guy. We don't want the Niners to hurt him. So, uh, you know, there is an option for Carr to return to the Raiders. It's still on the table, according to the report. But Derek uh, Carr shutting it down for now. Uh, guys, it, it feels like it's that time of year. you got a couple games left in the NFL regular season. Marcus Mariota loses his starting job in Atlanta promptly goes off to have a baby and then says, I'm going to get my knee checked out. He's not going to return to the Falcons. Doesn't look like he's coming back to the Falcons. Do you – is there a respect thing that you – do you lose respect for Marcus Mariota that he's playing the system and he's playing the game right now?
3: Um, I don't know that I lose respect for him, Um, but I, I think it's a little weird that you just kind of – kind of leave, right? Like, I, I, I want to believe that everyone has the best intentions of the team and their teammates, and they're going to help them out no matter what instead of just kind of going away from the team. So I guess I, I guess that would mean that i lose a little respect for him. But I don't know. I, it's hard to say. I do have a – I was thinking about Josh McDaniels, though, John, also, and uh, I think it's funny that he's such a bad coach but also a good coordinator that he made the Patriots worse by leaving and the Raiders worse by going there. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and and, and what does he see in Jarrett Stidham, who he had in New England? What does he see in that guy that, you know, I, I think they're just saying we don't want Derek Carr to get hurt. He's an asset right now. Everybody doing what's best for themselves. Here's why I don't lose respect for Mariota. The Raiders are doing what's best for the Raiders by sitting Derek Carr down. The Falcons say they're doing what's best for the Falcons by giving Ritter the starting job and telling Mariota you're benched. Marcus Mariota doing what's best for himself? by saying, hey, I need to get my knee checked out and and the Falcons going, Well, this isn't something that kept him out of games, but you know, he's, I guess he's gotta do what he's gotta do. But if I'm Mariota, look, the the Falcons have told you they're moving on. That, you know, they're they're pivoting to the rookie. And so I think he's in in essence saying, I'm not gonna be here to help coach him. That's not my role. That's not my job. It's the same thing we got mad at, you remember when uh, you know players get drafted, we always go. You know, who's a team player? Who you know is the quarterback going to? Uh, is the star quarterback going to stick around and help coach this guy? Remember, Ryan Tannehill took took a beating for that in the off season for saying, "Oh, it's not my job to coach the guy up." But Marcus Mariota essentially doing the same thing here. Why am I okay with that? Do you think that it's going to affect Marcus Mariota finding a
3: backup job next season?
2: No. Not, not a bit. It's a business. I think people know he can play. I think if he wants to play, that he gets another opportunity somewhere else. And I think part of this has to be Arthur Smith. You know, Arthur Smith was the coordinator in Tennessee when Mariota got benched. Arthur Smith, you know, told his ownership, told the Blank family, hey, we need to go get Mariota. We need to pay for this guy in free agency. They got him in. And he's pivoting now with two games to go in the regular season, three games to go in the regular season, saying, hey, you're no longer the starter for me. I'm benching you again, this time in a different setting. If I'm Marcus Mariota, I feel a little bit jilted here because I don't think the Falcons' problems were all about the quarterback position. I think the Falcons had a whole bunch of other problems. That said, I also don't blame the Falcons for wanting to see what they have in their rookie. I just don't know if handing him the starting job – you know, with three games to go, is the way to do that. They did not score a touchdown in their last game. They got three field goals, and I'm interested to see how this kind of goes for them. But they don't have uh, they don't have a bunch of uh, and a bunch of depth at that position. They're now said to be shopping Kyle Pitts, the tight end. Uh, I think it's it's just kind of a bad situation in Atlanta, and maybe that's what it has to be until Marcus Mariota can either decide to retire or find a backup job somewhere else. I also don't think he played very well amid all of it. In and, and I was I thought he took a step backwards. He just did not look as confident, didn't look like the same quarterback. Dave uh, Uyungalele coming up. Uh the father to DJ Uiyungalele and Mateo Uyungalele. He is next. Big Dave, you're going to hear him right here.
1: B F F T from the Pac West Center in downtown Portland. Presented by High Caliber Millwrights. Here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth.
2: I've got kids. I have three daughters. I know how... I know how much parenting matters in our household. I know that it matters to me that... My kids are respectful. It matters to me that my kids understand uh, compassion and empathy, and and it also matters to me that they, they understand how great they are, that they grow up with confidence, especially girls. I have three daughters. So I'm always interested in good parenting stories. And I have to tell you, when I saw Mateo Uyunglele committing to the University of Oregon, I went, ooh, I want to talk to his dad because I know how involved he was in developing these kids and kind of showing them the way. And then when DJ Uyunglele ended up in the portal and transferring to Oregon State, I went, this makes total sense. You're going to have Mateo and DJ about 40 miles away from each other I figure their dad, Big Dave, could get a get a condo like halfway between, you know, somewhere to crash between home games during the college football season. He's a great story. I started researching him, reading what was written about him, listening to interviews that he did with uh, other podcasters and other things. And I was like, I got to get Dave on the show. I reached out to him. Uh, he was uh, ready and willing. And so joining us now. Dave Uyunglele, the father of DJ and Mateo, joining us. How are you, Dave? How you doing? Doing well, man. I'm good. I, give us an idea. How, you know, you're gonna. Are you gonna spend some time in Oregon with two kids playing on uh, two teams here?
5: Um, of course. I think it's. Uh, I'm excited. You know, just to know that I'm going to be there. You know, both of my kids are just. You know. 30 35 minutes apart from each other just to be able to watch their process and you know very excited for DJs too you know just yeah the I think that you, had
0: to get to a good school.
2: you know it, it feels like you know it worked out well they're they're that far apart was that something you guys had talked about or did that just develop on its own
5: it, it just developed on its own you know um, after DJs Got in the portal. You know, at the end of the day, we thought about what was the next place for him. Um, Nothing else matters. What did matter was we had to go to a place where diesel was needed. You know, and to a great offensive coordinator or office a head coach, a great situation that kind of catered towards his skill set. Right. So, Oregon. I mean, when you just look at what they've done. I mean, what I, I heard, I watched the game when they beat Oregon. Uh, they threw the ball, I think, six times. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And that, that right there, just to put the perspective on, that is a great school with some great coaching that knows how to maximize the talent that they have there. So could you imagine if you put the DJ in a situation like that? And they run the type of uh, they run, uh, pro set. It's the type of uh, offense that will get my son ready for the next level. You know what I mean? So it just made so much sense for these in-house
2: State. Dave, you've played such an important role in raising these kids and, and helping them develop and improve. And I watched some of the videos of you working with the kids and even some of the stories about hearing some of their experiences when they were young. Um, you know, where did you learn that from? Or where did you get that from? Or what influences did you have? Because I'm a parent too. Like, you know, I feel like sometimes I'm making it up as I go. Uh, where did you pick up
5: the development part? Uh, honestly, man, I got to I gotta give credit to the mom, right? You know, just, just to knock that out right now. I couldn't do this without her. Um, she was there every step of the way with me. It was a team effort, and we did a great job in raising these kids. But honestly, as I was just, I saw the talent early, and I've been through playing football, you know, going through my little experiences and stuff like that. So at the end of the day, I kind of knew the power of social media and just try to use that tool. And I, all of it is like what you just said. I put it together with my mom just on my own. I didn't – there wasn't those uh, books, and I didn't look on YouTube. I just did whatever I thought that a parent would want to do with their kids, right? And I was blessed with a job that allowed me to do that. And I, I just understood sometimes – I looked at DJ's skill set when he was what, uh, six, seven, eight years old, and I knew he was a little bit above. And, you know, from, from his regular skill set, I just knew he needed to be um, challenged, right? So instead of playing, in, he was in third grade, I had him playing with sixth and seventh graders. It was tough. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say he, he hung with, you know, like he did well, but he was tough. But it allowed him to... To, to gradually get better and better as he got older he just played with older tours and, and it was all just I I it was just led I, I don't I wish I could say somebody showed me the way. All of it was just um just by experience, just going out there and trying new things and, you know, um eventually you see what works and you see what doesn't. But I know I know um that's how I get it, sir. I I didn't and, and through the through it, through it now, I can actually give advice and help other kids and their family now through the same process that they don't have to go through the same boots that I had to go through. But what really, honestly, what really motivated me was my experiences when I was a young kid. Um, I was a kid that was a dropout of high school. I was a very talented kid but never could get the girls to play. You know, what I mean when I was... Athletic. I put out a video when I was 380 pounds dumping a ball, but you should have seen me at 325 pounds. I was doing 360 jumps, right? So I was very athletic at a young age, but just didn't have the resources that my kids had. So that's that's what I was. That's what I'm talking about. That's what motivated motivated me to maximize whatever my kids had. I made sure that I they were training with the best trainers. Um, they didn't have time in between that their workouts that they could go and just, you know, I mean, I, I allowed them to be kids, but I, I, I you know, that word, we didn't want to force them. I used to call that word force into oh, guide. <laughs> <laughs> I just try to guide my kids <laughs> into, into what they're doing nowadays, you know what I'm saying? And that, that definitely took a lot of uh, what the mom and I did together as a team. She was, she was the boss at home. She was the, uh, she was the uh, base of the family. She was she was the rock of our family. All I did was um, I, I had, she gave me, gave me she allowed me to do what I needed to do with DJ outside of the house, right? Go to these training, meet these coaches, um, you know, and stuff like that. Just to to just to be to be wherever he's at today. One of the cool stories
2: I heard, and you brought this up. You know, you had DJ in, in like fourth grade playing. Against sixth graders because of his size, right? Because in Pop Warner you play yeah. by weight. He he was a giant kid. Yeah. Um, yeah. How did he do? How did he manage that? Being young and less mature than maybe some of the other teammates.
5: It, it that that's where why you see the kids you see, you know, that could handle that pressure at Clemson, that he could put a mic in his, in in his mouth and ask him those those kind of questions that you really don't want to be asked, but you know. I saw that in him when he was fourth grade. So in the middle of the game, his first game, he's in third grade playing against sixth and seventh graders, three and four years older than They're They're beating up on him, sacking him, and, you know, I truly believe any other kid would have ran out quick. Well, I looked in his eyes and I said, DJ, are you okay? I see tears coming down, and he tells me, Dad, I'm fine. To me that's when I knew that this kid, you know, he, he's not just not like a normal he, he, he had that, that that heart in him to play and not to get afraid. But he knew it was gonna get better and he just wanted to try. That, that's how young he was back then. And I saw it in him, you know, and um if I did if he didn't show that to him, I definitely would have put him off the team and put him and tried something else, maybe play flag football. But he showed that uh that leadership, he showed that 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 that, you know, courage, that courage that he had inside to hang in there and still try his
2: best. We're talking to Dave Uyunglele, the father to DJ and Mateo. Uh, look, I look at Mateo, and he's a five-star guy as a tight end, if he's a tight end. He's a five-star guy on yeah. the defensive line. Just a sensational athlete. Is there a shot? He plays some offense at Oregon? It's, you know, we saw DJ Johnson do a little bit of that.
5: Yeah, well, you know what, um... I, they they both, they recruit, it was funny in the beginning, they all recruited him as a DN. then eventually USC switched up and said, we want him as a tiger. And then Oregon talked about, you know, we might want to throw him in some red zones or, you know, some, some packages. I, I would think you should. Um, the kid can do windmill dunks at 6'6", 270 pounds, right? So... This is a freak athlete that you have playing on your offense. Like this year playing in a, in a championship against Modern Day, this is the number one, number two team in the country. The first time we played Modern Day, we didn't use Mattel at all. We, we thought we could just leave him on defense. The second time we played him for the, for the CIF and the national championship and the state championship, um, definitely had these skills with Dale. And he played a huge part because he called a touchdown that, that, that gave us the, the lead. And then he caught a first down, a throwback to to get the first down to run the clock out. So I don't know, you know. I, for me, I would I would hopefully Oregon use him at at offense, but you know I don't want to tell the coach anything like like all the coaches that that get my kids. I tell them these are your kids now. Take care of them. I'm not no I'm not a daddy that calls you. Hey, why are you not playing my son? I never called Dabble once. I never called Streeter once at Clemson because to me. My sons have to learn how to deal with, with pressure. They have to learn how to deal on, on their own. Their parents, we did our job. Me and the mom raised them to this point. So we can't – I'm not here to fight your battles anymore. God got you. They, God gave you the ground to use your mind on how to, you know, maneuver and and, and handle these situations. So, you know, for Mattel, whatever, whatever coaches have for him, hey, I'm there to support, and I, I like his chances there. Mateo's been a fan since he was a young kid. You see that, and um, I'm so excited for both of my kids.
2: I think the state of Oregon is excited because at or- you know, at <laughs> Oregon, Mateo's going to get to jump in. You're going to see a bowl game tonight, and you know you'll be able to see that he's going to play right away at Oregon. And DJ is, like you said, he is needed at Oregon State. Um, yeah. You know, I saw that video, by the way, of you with the drop step dunk. You, how much did you weigh in that video?
5: I was three hundred eighty pounds, and I'm about six three and a half. I always tell people I'm six four, but I'm like six three and a half. That's incredible.
2: And, and you know, of, yeah. of the of the two kids, were were you more Mateo or more DJ as an athlete?
5: Well, I'm gonna just tell you, we were always more Mateo, a DJ because he's the oldest. Mateo didn't really turn turn that switch till eighth grade. I all, I, uh, this whole thing with Mattel is a surprise to us because we thought he was just a little brother just, just trying to follow follow his, his older brother, right? And he didn't show much as a young kid. He looked like he was just going through the motions. He was a great athlete. Don't get me wrong, he did great, but he, you know, DJ was, DJ was the first kid in California history to have multiple V1 offers. You know, that's the type of stuff he was doing. You know, so we just didn't see it in the t- until his eighth grade year. He had a growth spurt, and he just decided he wants to work out even more. And and it was just – it. the reason why he makes a great tight end when nobody knows is as DJ, when he was 12, 13, 14, 20, um, he really didn't have a receiver. So guess who had to get up and play the receiver part? <laughs> was Mateo. So – so yeah, so Mateo just that's that's where his talent of becoming a, you know, a receiver team started from just from catching passes from his older brother.
2: We're talking to Dave Uyengalele, father to uh, Mateo and DJ. Um, I got to know about the bodyguard stuff, private security. How did you get? How did you get yeah. into that?
0: Um,
5: um, I don't. I'm going to be honest. You know, I'm not going to tell no lie. Uh, I got on house arrest when I was a young kid and uh, I was one of them young, uh, troubled kids that, you know, But I got on house arrest and the house arrest cost about $400 a month and I wasn't going to give that burden to my mom and dad, so I went and got into security and that's how I got into security. <laughs> I started working in Hollywood and started working all the, the top clubs in Hollywood, that had all the celebrities and then the. Uh, from there, I just had a, I had an artist that asked me to come and work for him as his bodyguard, and the rest is history. This is back in '96.
2: It's incredible, and it's an incredible story. I mean, uh, you you talk about what the rest of us don't know. I mean, there's a lot of things in my job people don't know. But what is it in private security that the rest of us don't know that that you dealt with on a daily basis?
5: Just just their daily living. You know, the, the media just wants to have this perception of what you think the, the artist is. And you know the truth. You're sitting there watching it every day unfold in front of you. And you know this person has a heart. This person is caring. But the media has it to be. He's a drug addict. He's a gangster. He's a bad kid. And you know the truth. You know what I mean? That's, that's some of the stuff that... That's really hard when you're working, when with a certain person, your client, tell them, and you go to a paragraph. I really never had a lot of issues with clients that don't miss to what I, you know, when I tell them, when I give them orders, you know, because I'm protecting their life. So, yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're that serious with our clients, and they know we do a great job. You know, my job is just to make sure his heart keeps ticking. And whatever plans or whatever, what we have for the day, we just try to go out, and this is what I pray every day, you know. And um, it's been it's been great. It's been over about about twenty five years into this. I, I rarely do it now, but definitely have my brothers and cousins that still do it. But yeah, that's some of the stuff about you know these artists. Some people just don't know the rip, the the what's really going on. You know, they're just getting the the information from from the media and. Most most time, it's just not true.
2: Yeah, you get a chance to know these people behind the scenes and know who they really yeah. are, and it's it's probably a lot. It's probably eye opening.
5: Yeah. Yep. We're. I. I kind of feel it, it, like. Go ahead. No, it's just you know it, it's kind of cool because you you get to see things that so many people wish they could see, right? You know, you, you're 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 seeing it every day. You you know, your your interactions with these, I don't like to call them clients because, to me, I treat them as if they're my parents, meaning because they put on food on my table or a roof over my head and they're taking care of my kids, I I, I always, my mentality is, what would you do for your parents? That's the same thing I would do for my clients. So that's the reason why every client I work for, they fell in love with me because I just, I care so much for them, you know. I'm a very appreciative person, especially when you're taking care of my kids, you know. So I always always treat it as such, you know.
2: And it's, you know, it's one thing I think when you're guarding, you know, you're you're on private security for Rihanna or Chris Brown or Meek Mill or somebody. Yeah. And you are on high alert. I wonder, can you ever turn that off? Like when you went home and you were just around your kids, were you still kind of – private security guy in the back of your mind like i i would think that's something you don't flip off
5: it's it's uh it's it's kind of crazy that you say that because it's it's an actual thing for us polynesians it's, it's we always are taking care of people um i'll give you an example when dj was a big recruit and went to visit Clemson, they had about six seven hundred people right outside of a stadium and the coaches were trying to get DJ through the, through the crowd. You know, and um, they, first they allowed the people to do the sign signatures, and they, but we had to go. And they just didn't know how to, you know, they never done it before. So I just jumped right into bodyguard mode. And there's ways, I always say there's a way you do things. It's in how you do it. You don't have to be disrespectful, but you can be firm and respectful at the same time. So I, I gathered the crew up, and they just followed me through the crowd, and I just walked him all the way through that crowd. And and the, and the coach was just like, wow. He looks at DJ and said, man, your dad knows what he's doing. And then DJ tells him, bro, my dad's a bodyguard. This is what he's doing regularly.
2: <laughs> I love that. Give us one tip that yeah. all of us, all, anybody listening can learn one thing about private security. Give us one tip that you have learned over the years.
5: Well, for, for private security, uh, um, just... Don't get overwhelmed. Always, you're talking about as a person being a private security, or yeah, when they're around private or, security, or
2: let's just say any of us is in a situation that that turns sideways. You know, you've learned things. You've been there. You probably stayed yeah. calm when other people were losing it.
5: That's that's my advice to everyone: stay calm. Your, your best bet is this: is not to prove a point to people. If you if your kid is there and something's going on, you're not there to go and to match whatever is going on there, you're going there to grab your kid and get him out any means necessary. I don't care how, just get him out of there. You know what I mean? You're not there to prove like you're tough. Some of these bodyguards that come and tell me, hey, I can fight, I got red, black belt, this and that. That's kind of the last people I, I want as a bodyguard. A bodyguard should be, the word is de-escalate. That's your job. You're not here to poor. Uh, and pass the leaves on the fire. You're here to put water to kill it. You know what I mean? So that's my advice for a lot of parents. If, if anything breaks out, your goal is to stay calm, grab your loved ones, and get out the best way you can. Discreetly, though. You know, making sure no one knows. I don't care where. If you have to, if there's no way out, find a room. Walk them in a room, hide in a room. Stay there. You know? That's
2: that's basically my my advice. Dave Uyanga is our guest, father to DJ and Mateo. DJ heading uh, to Oregon State through the transfer portal. Mateo uh, committing to Oregon State as or Oregon as a freshman. Uh, just a couple questions on the kids. Um, DJ's confidence level. Um, I think it's going to be great for him to get uh, new scenery, new coaching, new system. Where's his confidence level?
5: It's. Uh, I mean, to me. I think it'll be it'll be, you know, it'll be. Uh, I think it'll be it'll be great. I mean, high his confidence. He's going to go in there and compete. He's not he's not coming into a situation. You know, this wasn't our plan to leave Clemson, right? But it happened. So it it, it may seem as if he lost confidence during in Clemson, but going into a situation like this, where it's, uh, uh, I know DJ's excited, I know he is. I am. I mean I, I hope my son is excited to be able to go in a situation like this and come in and really complete, you know, now you really got a chip on your shoulder. You got a reason to come out here and perform. You know, I, I need this I need to say this to people. The NIL wasn't it was not an issue. Like it's it wasn't we didn't look, you know, I told I told my son it's not about the bag right now. It's about to go to a place where they need you and it's about to rewrite what was, you know. What happened in your past? And I want everybody to know I don't hate Clemson at all. I am truly grateful to that one, to call Streeter and the coaches up there and all the Clemson fans. You know, at the end of the day, this is a good lesson for a lot of people. You may go in there with your plans and being the highest-ranked quarterback or whatever or whatnot, and stuff like this happens. It's what you do when adversity hits you. What really is going to define who you are as a man, as a, as a child, you know a guy. You know what I mean. This this is I I I invite this platform for my son to be able to get on this stage
6: and do what he has
5: to do. It do, it doesn't bother me none. I don't feel any ill will towards Clemson. I got nothing but love. I will always. I post it all the time. Forever we'll be all in to the Tiger fans. And you know I, I see people. You know, uh, other fans talk about. You know, the Clemson fans say say stuff about DJ. What what people need to know is this: everyone has the right to have their opinion, and if their opinion doesn't match up with yours, and it is disrespectful to my son, I know, because I come from an industry where I'm working with clientele who has a lot of fans, and some of them telling them, you, you can't, you can't stop. Um, trying to reach your goals by worrying about what people think about you. You just have to keep chopping and understand that people, things are going to be said about you, you know, all around you. You just you just have to stay focused on what you got to do for you and your, and your development as a person, you know what I mean, as a student, as an athlete. And, you know, I'm just grateful for the opportunity that Jesus has to go to Oregon and, um, you know, to be able to just try his best to help that team win, right? It's not about DJ. It's about DJ coming into a team, Oregon State. So I'm just grateful that Oregon State provided a platform for my son to talk and share his talent with a bunch of those guys because this is not an I team. This is a tough sport. So I'm I'm my whole thing is I'm praying and hoping for Oregon State to shock the world. I love my son at Oregon. <laughs> you know, Mateo, Well you got four years or three years, Mateo, Uh you know, come on. You you gonna be good, Mateo. Oregon, we're gonna be good, but next year I'm really rooting for my son DJ in uh, Oregon State. I'm definitely you know, I'm gonna be Oregon fan, so I'm just saying just 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 in the nature of what what what, what he has to do, what he's been going through in his situation. I'm just excited for my son DJ.
2: Yeah, and you know, what? in the state of Oregon, you're going to find a lot of households who have one kid at Oregon, one kid at Oregon State. That's not unusual. <laughs> so you'll you'll be in good yeah. company. You'll be in good company when you're at games, Dave. Before I let you go, uh, Mateo choosing Oregon was it close with USC, or did you know, you know, kind of uh, down the stretch that it was going to be Oregon?
5: what much, son. Mateo, such a <laughs> this guy. He did not tell anyone. He, he kind of hit a little bit where he wanted to go, but he wasn't all the way, you know. But until the last day, that's the day before he was going to announce his run and told all of us. And it it was close. All three, USC, um, Oregon, and and Ohio State. He was close to all those coaches, and it was hard for him to call Oregon. I mean, a uh, uh, USC coaches and. Ohio State. It was hard for him to talk to them and let them know that he made his decision to go to Oregon. And uh, um, you know, it was—I I just love the way he did it. He was very respectful, and um, he made a great choice. If, if 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 I had to go and if I had to say if I had to judge on what all the coaches did, I, I can tell you, Oregon went over and beyond for my son. Not to say that USC didn't or Ohio State didn't, but I just have to let the Oregon fans know that Oregon went over and beyond when when my son came to his official visit. So I just want them to know I'm very appreciative of what they what they did. You know when you say really, over and really over went. and
2: beyond, is it just is that welcoming? Is that they had bells and whistles? Is it all of
5: it? It's just that they, they did their due diligence on really finding out what truly meant, what really meant, what meant, what was important to Mattel, you know? I'm gonna tell you, Mattel doesn't care about the fancy stadiums and the fancy stuff, like, you know, the stuff they have at Oregon. What Mattel wanted was, he wanted people to to know, what are you gonna do with me when you get, when I come there? He wants to know, what is your plan? Um, uh, Development-wise, he told them, school, we obviously know is first. I'm taking care of school. Well, what are you going to do for me uh, um, in, in the culture, uh development space? How are you going to get me ready? So they did a great job in that. And then knowing that he loves music, right? I mean, until I just went to one, they took him to two, like, really major studios that they have at at, um, at Oregon. Mm. So you know what I'm saying? So that, those are the things that, that and they, they, you know, they just, the, the little things like the twisty uh, church, from Samuel. you know what I mean. Like, I, I just, you know, what I'm saying I, I got to give give it to them. They, they all, they, you know, just they all three, the three schools did it. But I'm just saying, I, I, I really, I, I just felt as if, you know, uh, Oregon, they, they did their thing, man. They, they really did a great job, you know, just showing how much they would they care about Mateo and hit what's important to him.
2: Dave, I appreciate you making time for us. Love to get you back on maybe when the season starts and you're in town. And, uh, you know, it, I, th- I think it's going to be really fun to you for you to see both kids playing not far from each other in the same conference. Uh, you know, you're going to be a Pac-12 expert by the time this is over.
5: <laughs> yes, sir. And I'm glad you're back in the Pac-12. I'm, I'm, I'm a Pac-12 guy, so is I'm excited just All for right, the d- Pac-12 in June.
2: Now, Dave, before I let you go, am I getting your last name right?
5: Uyunglele? That's perfect, Mama. That is perfect.
2: <laughs> I won't try that's it again. Perfect. All right. Let you go, no, Dave.
5: that's perfect, Dave. You <laughs> did a great job. Well,
2: oh. I appreciate you. I've been working on it. Yeah. You take care of yourself.
5: No, thank you. Thank you, right. brother.
2: There he is, Dave. Big Dave. How about that, Stephen? Uyunglele? That's uh that
3: was a great job under pressure by you.
2: <laughs> that's like uh, uh, that. That's important, you know. A name, you know, it's dicey, and you know you don't want to you don't want to butcher somebody's name because it's a respect thing. It was
3: smart to save it till the very end, though. Like not to do yeah. it the very first question. Like, hey, does how you pronounce? Your name? No, save it to the end, just in case you did mess up. He's not thinking yeah. about it the whole time.
2: And I went and I watched a bunch of videos where he was talking. And and he was talking with, uh, you know, someone else who was Polynesian in one of the videos, and they said, and, and the key is the lile at the end, uh, because you can get, oo, e, un, That's the name. So, galalay at the end is the key to that last name. But if you want to be an expert on it, just write down, Oo, e, un, There you go. Leave it here.
1: Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750
6: the game.
2: I wanna uh, I wanna dis- dissect the big Dave. Dave Uyungalai joined us. I'm not gonna stop saying it because now I know it's right. Joined us in the last segment, uh, Anna has popped into the studio. Peter, Stephen, you had a front row seat for it as well. I want your takeaways, what you thought of it, because I don't want to say what I thought of it until I hear from you guys. Anna, let's start with you. You were listening to uh, Dave talk about his kids. What'd you think of it?
7: I mean, you know, he's obviously very proud of his sons, and rightly so. Um, I, I look forward to meeting him, hopefully, some point and. You know, I'm very curious to see what, uh, how much time he'll be spending in Oregon with his sons in Eugene and in Corvallis. Um, Yeah, he's a character, you know, he's definitely a character. Like, when you look him up, the guy has like 20,000 Twitter followers, so... It's like he's developed somewhat of a brand of his own in this whole process as well.
2: How about you, Steven? Peter, what do you guys think? Yeah,
3: number one was the love for his kids. Like, he really does have genuine love for his kids. But two is like, and I told Peter this during the interview, that guy has seen some things <laughs> and has stories for days. Like, it is great. Like, I would love to know all the inside stories that that guy has. He has seen a lot of things and been through a lot of stuff like he, he has a lot of uh, real-life experience, and I, that was the one thing I took away,
2: man. I think we're going to get to some of those interviews later. But uh, a lot of those people in that world, Peter, you're in that world, uh, in rock and roll and in uh, with uh, musicians. There's a lot of stuff that nobody wants to talk about. We had a roadie on this show once upon a time. I couldn't get an answer from him. Yeah. Steve, came, Steve came on. He wouldn't tell us anything because he was like, oh, you know, I can't talk about that. No, I can't talk about that story either.
4: Yeah, I mean, and that definitely goes on. But I love that you said that for the most part, these are normal people. A lot of the the non-normalcy, it comes from all the the people sort of around you kind of forcing it on you. Uh, I loved the interview. He certainly warmed up uh, over the second half. Not that he was cold before, but once he's really talking about his his boys a little bit, uh, he really warmed up. And I can tell you it's not an act, man. I had him before he came on the air. And it sounded like a party going on in the background. He's like, I'm with my family, man. How long is this going to take? And I said, look, you know, you know, 15 minutes, I'm guessing. You know, we'll see how it goes. Uh, so it's definitely not an act. He's he's a family man spending time with his family, and you could hear him warm up as he talked about him.
2: Yeah, and I think, you know, for me, um, you got DJ and you got Mateo. I want to have them both on the show. But I wanted a little bit of context to their life story. And I had heard, you know, look, some people have said, oh, he's an over-involved dad. And, but in some respect, we are all over-involved dads on some level. I didn't I didn't get a LeVar Ball vibe from him. I liked that he said, like I tell the coaches, these are your kids now. I liked that he said he talked about kind of the painful experience at Clemson and said, you know, this is good. He's sort of embracing the challenge for his kid and accepting challenges and and i do find that when you look at the stories of successful people you often find adversity you often find setbacks and they just kept plowing along i think what he's trying to do is he's trying to do what he does when he moves somebody through a crowded room he's just trying to get through the room plow along get his kid to the other side of the room but uh i want i want to hear more of big dave And I want to, you know, and people in the recruiting world told me, hey, you got to talk to this guy. You got to have him on. Uh, He's a really interesting figure that has been, you know, heavily involved in the recruitment of his sons. Ultimately, though, it sounds like it was the decision of his sons to pick where they picked. Um, And by the way, anybody else, when he said he watched the Oregon Oregon State game and all they were looking for was a place that needed DJ, he says, Oregon State only threw six passes in that game. Is anybody else looking at the Civil War football game and going, that was a really important comeback for Oregon State? Because <laughs> I don't know if DJ ends up at Oregon State without it.
4: Yeah, it just goes to show. And it's not even the fact that they won. I, th- I think it's because they won not throwing the ball. And and uh, that is so important. DJ, he's still got a lot to show, man. I think it's potentially going to be a marriage made in heaven in Corvallis. I want your feedback. Did
2: you hear the interview? What did you make of it? 503-417-7575.
1: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
2: Oh, yeah, Dave, we on the lay on the show, father to DJ and Mateo. If you missed the interview, you can grab the podcast. We'll have it up and ready shortly for you to share with uh, people that you want to hear it. But uh, Dave talked about DJ going to Oregon State. Here's what he said about that decision
5: ultimately. I watched the when they beat Oregon. Uh, they threw the ball, I think, six times. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And that, that right there, just to put the perspective on that is a great school with some great culture that knows how to maximize the talent that they have there. So could you imagine if you put the DJ in a situation like that? There,
2: there it was, is uh, Dave talking about uh, DJ's uh, decision to go to Oregon State. Uh, I also asked him about the confidence that he has uh, his son has and he went on to sort of talk about this being part of the journey I
5: think it'll be a, it'll be great I mean, i'm high His confidence he's going to go in there and come he's not he's not coming into a situation you know this wasn't our plan to leave Clemson, right but it happened so it, it, it may have seemed as if he lost confidence during in but going into a situation like this where it's, uh, uh, I know dJs excited I know he is I am I mean, I, I hope my son is excited to be able to go in a situation like this and come in and really compete. You know, now you really got a chip on your shoulder. You got a reason to come out here and perform. You know, I I need this. I need to say this to people. The NIL wasn't. It was not an issue. Like it's, It wasn't. We didn't look. You know, I told I told my son, it's not about the bag right now. It's about to go to a place where they need you, and it's about to rewrite what was. You know. What happened in your past?
2: That's Dave Uyunglele talking about his kid, DJ. Jesse's in Klamath Falls uh, listening on 960 AM. Jesse, go ahead. What's on your mind?
8: Uh, it's good to hear you back on the air, John. I come here for the Gonzalo. No, no uh, bad-mouthing the other dudes, but good to hear you back.
2: Well, I appreciate that. Uh, you, um, you heard the interview. What'd you think? The
8: Uyunglele's, Um, it is but awesome Oregon story to have a split household because that's such an Oregon thing. You touched on that in the interview a little bit. I think this is going to be super fun because both programs are on the up. You get the little brother at Oregon and the big brother at Oregon State, which is kind of opposite, right? right? It's a divided household. Jonathan Smith finally gets that standout stud at quarterback, which is just going to make them a terror, in my opinion. Um And I think the coolest thing about it is hearing the dad say that what was important and what swung Mateo's decision was that the coaching staff got it, that they wanted, he wanted to know, like, no bells and whistles. We know what Oregon has, but he's not swayed by that. He wanted to know, how are you going to develop me? How are you going to use me? And that ultimately made the decision. And that tells me that Coach Lanning, I'm a Duck fan. Coach Lanning gets it, too, and he is about the development. It sounds like a young father to me as a coach, right? Like he's about the development of the young guys he's bringing into the program. So I'm excited, man. There's going to be so many storylines, and I'm stoked, and I'll take your comments off the air.
2: Yeah, and I think, look, next season in the Pac-12, it's going to be Utah. It's going to be USC. It's going to be Washington. It's going to be Oregon. It's going to be Oregon State. Right now I'm looking at those programs, those five those are the true contenders next season. Yes, you have Arizona. They are coming on, but I don't see them as a top-five team. Washington State, uh, they're making coordinator changes on offense and defense. I think there's a little bit of turmoil there. They could uh, you know, rise up and get into the top five if somebody slips, but I think it's those five. And two of them are in this state. Third is in Seattle. And then you got Utah that is just a tent pole in this conference right now, and you got USC and Lincoln Riley. That's a really good group of five for the Pac-12 conference. Anna is busy reading all about the Uyanga Lalays. Uh, what are you What are you learning right now?
7: I'm fascinated because it made me want to learn more about the boy's mom, and I'm reading an article about how to make ends meet as they were raising the two boys. She carried someone else's baby six times as a surrogate mother.
2: Wow. Six times. Storylines here. And
7: then uh, she also, you know, took care of her own mother who was disabled by multiple sclerosis and lived with the family for 14 years. Um, just, and then, and then it, it talks about how there's there, there's some athleticism on her side of the family as well, so, wow.
2: These are giant kids that are good athletes, and, you know, I always think, too, when you when you talk, in uh, the dad touched on sort of the Polynesian family, how everybody's an uncle, everybody's an auntie. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's a community. And I think it's interesting, too, because I just think it it's interesting that the two kids are going to be so close together. Yeah. Like, you know, they can see each other, or they can hang out, or mom and dad come to visit. It's not like it's, a, hey, dad, you know, one kid's at Clemson and the other kid's at Oregon. Now one's at Oregon State, one's at Oregon.
7: I'm also just curious to learn more about the kids, you know, as people and as football players, because you know how it is sometimes in families when there is either a matriarch or patriarch figure that looms so large and how that can impact the personalities of the kids. Like, I I wonder what the kids are like, if they're comfortable with that role of being on these pedestals and, you know, being followed so fervently for their athleticism.
2: And I kind of think we're getting the two sons at different points, right? DJ's been through a high-level recruitment. He was a five-star guy that chose Clemson, went there. It didn't work out. His brother, Mateo, is just coming out of high school. And, you know, the dad said it. He says he hopes Oregon State shocks the world next season and has DJ at quarterback. Like, that, that would be a marriage and a match made in heaven. But I, like, it's almost like they've seen some stuff, and I wonder, out from Mateo's perspective, what he learned from watching his brother go through it. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to ask him that when we get him on eventually.
7: I was fascinated, too, um, like what the caller was saying about the dad and what he ultimately was saying about Oregon and the homework that it seemed like they did in really understanding his kid and – You know, that it didn't seem to come down to just a dollar figure, a bottom line like that, but an understanding of what the kid needed and wanted to develop as a player there.
2: Leave it here. You got the BFT. Five at five coming up top of the hour. Plus, I'll tell you what's trending in sports.
1: You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
2: We're going to talk a lot about uh, the NFL in hour number three. We'll also deal with the Blazers a little bit. Um, I'm going to ask Peter. I'm going to ask Steven. I'm going to ask him, are they uh, bullish on the Blazers or not moving forward? I I hear a lot of gloom and doom out there, but is there a chance that the schedule gets easier, this team gets healthier, and the basketball? All I want from the Blazers is I want them to be entertaining. I just want them to be fun. They don't need to win big. Just be fun. That's, you know, that's their role. Like, everybody has a role to play. The Blazers' role in the sports ecosystem in the state of Oregon and in our region right now is be enjoyable, okay? Be, uh, you know, we they're almost like the hype man of the sports scene right now. We don't, we don't need them to win a championship. I think it's unreasonable to expect that. We don't even need them to compete. But I think if you can... If you can get them uh, to be just fun and entertaining, that's what we said at the beginning of the season, Steven. Like that was it. Yeah, and I think for the
3: most part they have. Um, and you know, lately the defense has been bad. So if you like offense, the Blazers are a fun team to watch right now. Uh, you know, it, it will be interesting going forward because this team isn't very deep on the bench. So they're going to have to add some pieces. And who knows when Gary Payton the second comes back? But they've been fun, I would say, for the most part this season.
2: Coming up, we'll do the five at five five biggest stories going on in sports. Anna's still marveling at the fact that that uh, DJ uh, U- Uyangalele's mother uh, was a surrogate mother for six children, six times. In time.
7: addition to having her own children. That's yeah. amazing. So you're,
2: well, we're going to get her on the show now. We'll you talk should. about that. Dad was bodyguard. Mom was uh, helping people have kids while having kids. Is that how you say that? Is that a, is that a weird way to put it? I don't
7: know that there's a... Right or she wrong was a surrogate say, mother. Yeah.
2: Surrogate mother.
7: Yeah.
2: Now surrogate mother, is, is there? Help us out with that. That is that <laughs> somebody else's child she's carrying? Yes. Not biologically her child. Correct. Okay.
7: Yeah. She's getting she's getting a fertilized like you know embryo a placed in her. Yes. That's yeah, that, it. No genetic connection.
2: That's why you come to the show, people. <laughs>
1: B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth.
2: We got the 5 at 5 coming up. Five biggest stories going on in sports. The 5 at 5. Every day we do this on the show, we uh, give you what we think are the five biggest stories. And it's not just what we think. It's what we know to be the five biggest stories that are going on. Uh, Obviously, uh, Pac-12 bowl season in full swing. Oregon will play North Carolina. How healthy is Bo Nix? We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the NFL as well. Tomorrow, Washington playing Texas. Friday, UCLA in the Sun Bowl against Pitt. Monday, we have couple of big games. USC playing Tulane in the Cotton Bowl and the Rose Bowl between Utah and Penn State. We'll have it all. We'll talk all about it on this hour of radio, but we're going to start with the 5 at 5. It's the five biggest stories going on.
1: The 5 at 5. Brought to you by Mercedes-Benz of Wilsonville. See more than 4,000 vehicles at swickert.com.
2: Well, it's interesting to see the scapegoating going going on in the NFL. Denver Fires coach Nathaniel Hackett on Monday. Broncos quarterback Russell Wilson comes out a couple days later and he says, "Hey, the reality is I wish I could have played better for him. I wish I could have played at the standard and the level I've always played at." Hackett gets fired 15 games into his first season with the Broncos. Team is at 4 and 11, averaging 15 and a half points a game. Shortest tenure, by the way for any head coach in Denver Broncos franchise history. So uh, for his part though, Russell Wilson must know down deep that the only reason he's still around is that $250 million contract he signed in September. Otherwise he would have been expendable. This is the season in which head coaches who are struggling either bench their quarterback or fire a coordinator, or the team picks the quarterback and fires the head coach. That's what it's all about right now in the NFL, and that's what you're seeing in Denver. Anna, number two, go.
7: Texas Tech and Ole Miss both honored Mike Leach at the Texas Bowl. Uh, Mike Leach died at the age of 61 uh, from some heart issues quite recently. Of course, we knew him around here from his stint with Washington State. But both of them uh, paid tribute with helmet decals in the Texas Bowl today. Texas Techs included a skull and crossbones, referencing Mike Leach's well-documented love of pirates, and the Rebels decal featured the word "Mike" with the letter "I" stylized as Mississippi State's famous cowbell. Classy move by them.
2: Yeah, there's a. You can go overboard with some of these things, but I don't think it's it's overboard for the schools that have a deep connection with him to kind of stop and take a moment and recognize that. And I think, you know, I know that there's a lot of people. Leach has come up every day since his passing. He has come up in some form or fashion in my circle. So I can't imagine like Mississippi State, Washington State, Texas Tech, the schools that have an actual connection to him to uh, that, that not taking a moment to recognize it. And I think it's just been uh, it's been fun for me over the years to get to know leach a little bit have him on the show a little bit I played uh, I played some of the uh, some of the calls that that you know and some of the interviews that I've done with him over the years on the show but uh, you know I always feel like when we had Mike leach on the show he was always interesting he was always uh, fun to talk with. And on that note, here's Mike Leach when I asked him if he wants to be president of the United States.
6: Uh, you know, the hardest thing about that job is getting that job. Uh, I think the hardest thing is getting that job. But I want that job. Well, it's like anybody. I mean, it's like, it's like, it's like my job. You know, everybody sitting at home thinks they want my job. <laughs> um, you know, uh, and, and that's also a job like my job that, that everybody thinks they know how to do that job better than the guy that has it, you know uh would I want that job? Yeah, I think I would Now I my suspicion is, is is you know if some if you threw some pixie dust in my direction and I got it, I wish I didn't after about a month. but you know, after I checked out all the stuff, did the museums, flew the airplane, uh, you know, uh, ran around Camp David, uh, you know, went uh, you know, you could have all kinds of cool tours. You know, Washington and stuff like that. I mean, heck, you could even do a JFK mischief tour. You know, like uh, this is, you know, this is the room where. You know. Yeah. And um... this is the room where, by Mike Leach,
2: number three in our five at five. The Toronto Maple Leafs have been fined a hundred thousand dollars by the NHL today. They say it was a travel violation that occurred during the league's holiday break. They flew to St. Louis on Monday. Apparently, it violated the collective bargaining agreement between the NHL and the Players Association. Teams are limited in activity and travel during the break. Games resumed across the league on Tuesday night, but according to flight data, the Maple Leafs departed Toronto at 10.18 p.m. Eastern time and arrived at St. Louis at 10.46 p.m. Central Time. They were fined uh, $25,000 to the coach, uh, and the fine money, and I guess, goes to the NHL uh, Foundation. But it's uh, apparently, this is not the first violation of travel that has occurred in the NHL. The Philadelphia Flyers were fined in 2015 after records showed that the club flew from philadelphia to nashville on the night of december 26 apparently they were supposed to wait till the following day to fly i gotta think that the maple Leafs, like i don't know this to be true but do you think they were concerned about weather do you think they were concerned about hey we need to get out and get down and you know get out of trouble but apparently the players association not having it i didn't know this was a thing did you guys know you guys know this was a thing
3: no, no idea about it, uh, especially you know hockey style. Not a big, you know not in super tuned to hockey, but I mean I guess if you don't make... care
2: about hockey, not really. Um,
3: but I guess <laughs> I guess it would make sense like if it was you know weather related, but I don't know. You gotta you gotta lay down the rules.
2: I guess. And a number four in our five at five. Go ahead.
3: Controversial Maple
7: Leafs breaking the rules. Breaking the rules. Uh. So, Kyrie Irving has obviously been in the headlines for not such great reasons, still, uh, you know, hit one of the most recognizable shots in the history of basketball, wearing a Cavs uniform. He's eighth on the franchise's all-time scoring list. So, the question was posed to his teammate, Kevin Love, we kind of know him from around here, Uh, whether he should have his number two jersey retired, and Kevin Love told cleveland.com this week without a doubt absolutely right after his career ends not even a question to him he said he needs to be up there he made the biggest shot in franchise history and one of the most important shots in finals history when you consider how it all went down
2: i don't know there's so much heat around kyrie's viewpoints and his activities i don't know is he a hall of famer guys should he have his jersey retired by the Cavaliers? I mean, just basketball wise,
3: yeah, he'd be he should be a Hall of Famer. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think when it comes to retiring, mean, retiring your jerseys, like off the court stuff, for me does come into a, into account. So uh, I wouldn't want his jersey retired. But like, if you're just
2: talking on court, he's a Hall of Famer. Finally, our fifth thing in our five at five. Let's talk a little bit more about. The Oregon State recruiting class so a lot of time spent on Oregon but I think it's interesting to see what Jonathan Smith is doing at Oregon State and and I'll piggyback on what Dave uh, Uyunglele said about his kid DJ picking Oregon State you know I think I found it interesting in the last couple of years to hear the narrative repeated over and over and I think it's accurate that Oregon State does more with less. We hear that all the time. They do more with less, more with less, over and over again. But I think part of the Oregon State story isn't just doing more with less. I think it's making the best of what you have, and I think that's coaching. So I think when you hear DJ you know Lele pick Oregon State, we all automatically go, oh, that's the quarterback upgrade that Oregon State has been starving for. And while that's all true – that they're going to get a better player at quarterback? The truth is, I think Jonathan Smith and his coaching staff, they just sort of coach who's in front of them. And I think I'm eager to see a former five-star quarterback that has basically been tossed on the scrap heap by Clemson and said, you're not good enough to play at this level to see that guy um, you know, become a factor somewhere else. And what can Jonathan Smith do with a player like that? I think it's a really important equation for DJ because he obviously wants to get to the next level, wants to play in the NFL. But I think it's an equally important thing for Oregon State because what they'd like to do is get back in the portal next year, 2 years from now, whenever they need a quarterback and have quarterbacks go, "Hey, I know I can go to Oregon State if things didn't work out for me in other places and have success." I think it's a big big uh factor that we will see and I think it's part of the recruiting question at Oregon State. That's our five at five, five big stories or five big thoughts uh, that uh, that we are uh, we unveil every week. Now, before the show, and I started the show because I was kind of I was kind of ticked off at Brian Ward, the former defensive coordinator at Washington State. I reported recently that Ward left Washington State because. Uh, Arizona State gave him a significant raise, about three hundred thousand dollars a year, and also paid his buyout, four hundred fifty thousand dollars. Also, he's native to Arizona; he was born in Glendale, and it's him going home. And also, you know, he's going to Arizona State, where it can be his defense. Jake Dickert, the head coach at Washington State, it's he's the defensive-minded guy. He's a former D coordinator, and Ward. Was essentially running Dickert's defense at Washington State. Now Ward is upset, and Ward is saying, "No, no, no, it's not accurate." So I said, "Well, what's not accurate?" He said, "It's just me going home," and he, uh, you know, declined to provide details on the salary. Declined to provide, uh, you know, any kind of. I guess he's just saying he doesn't want the narrative out there that he's leaving. To go call his own defense, and I'm looking at that going. I don't think people care. Like, <laughs> I know that's important to him, yeah. and that's fine. But I also think it's unbelievable to me that he wouldn't want to call his own defense.
7: Isn't that just how it goes? I mean, when when you have yeah. that opportunity, is not that isn't that part of what is attractive? Or yeah. am I naive in that?
2: No, it, and I think you know it was interesting because I had one of like the 24/7 website that covers. Washington State, asked me, you know, do you want to make a comment on this? And I'm like, I'm not even sure what I'm refuting. You know, he's saying he he wants to go home. He got more money. I said those same things. I think he wants to go call his own defense. He says he doesn't want to go call his own defense. Is that what we're talking about? Like, whose defense is he going to be calling at Arizona State? He's the defensive coordinator.
7: What is his concern with the assertion that he's leaving to call his own defense?
2: I think he. it was a slap at Washington State's coach like Jake Dickert was calling the defense. He was just the coordinator in I name. I see. I think he doesn't want to burn the bridge. I see. And he doesn't want the perception. And that's fine. Go tell that story somewhere else. But I'm not here to, I'm, I'm not listening to that story. I don't agree with that story. I don't think that story is accurate. I think he absolutely wants to go call his own defense.
7: Well, because it stands to reason that if you have head coaches that are inclined one way or another, and they usually are, right? like Dan Lanning is known for being more of a defensive minded coach. Yep. Am I right? On this? Yep. Am I just making this up? Jonathan Smith is more of an offensive minded coach. The coordinators that are handling that aspect of the coaching, um, you know, probably feel like they have a little more control if they don't have the head coach that they kind of mentally know is checking over their shoulder.
2: Yeah, and I think we all know that goes on.
7: It has to. It, like it that's just, just kind of human on. behavior, yes. right?
2: It goes on. I just I take offense at it because uh you know, look, I'm sourced. I'm talking to people at Arizona State. I'm talking to people at Washington State. I know the financials involved. I know that there was a $450,000 buyout. That's it's in his contract, right? Mm-hmm. So Arizona State paid that to Washington State. I know that he got an average of $300,000 a year more mm-hmm. to go from Washington State to Arizona State. I also know he's going to coach alongside an offensive-minded coach at Arizona State. He's not going to have a former D coordinator as his boss. Yeah. So, you know, if he wants – I, I, in the end, I just said I stand by the story, you know, whatever.
7: You guys can work it it's out. It's fine.
2: I'm sure you'll work it out. It's fine. All right. Uh, <laughs> some thoughts on the Blazers. And the NFL coming up. Uh, you got the bald faced truth statewide.
1: Back to the bald faced truth with John Canzano on seven fifty. The game. Woo-hoo!
8: Woo-hoo! Woo-hoo!
2: Our whole discussion about the Trailblazers needing to be interesting and relevant got me thinking. And it got me thinking about what it is that we want from our sports teams. Like I know what I expect from my kids. I know what I expect from myself. I know what I expect from the the, the new puppy we have in the house. Yeah, we got a puppy. Uh, I know what I expect from the puppy. You know, I understand. Hey, you're a puppy. There, you know, I can't ask you to act like you're a dog that's six years old. But you know, come on. Uh, I have some expectations, but I also have expectations for. Uh, the, the football teams that we watch, the NFL teams, the NBA teams, the college basketball teams, the, uh, you know, what is it that we want and what are we looking for from the sports teams? And you can help with that. I want your take from this. If you're a diehard Beaver fan, if you're a Blazer fan, if you're a fan of the Pittsburgh Steelers, what are you looking for? What do you want from your team? What's important to you when it comes to your team and your rooting and what are you looking to get out of it? 503-417-7575. You can argue that you want championships. It's a popular argument. You hear it all the time. You hear it on the national shows, the expectations for the Yankees, the expectations for the Dallas Cowboys, the expectations for the 49ers, uh, the Rams, whatnot, people always trying that. That scale of success or whether or not this season is worth the damn has to do with how many games you win and how far you go. Winning, getting the ring, the ring culture, it's all part of that conversation. But I would argue that for most teams, in most markets, in most sports, it's not about that. I think the prevailing answer will be what I said about the Blazers, that people want to feel like they have a chance, that people want to feel entertained, They want to feel that their team is fun and enjoyable and easy to root for. But you tell me at 503-417-7575 what you want from your sports team. I'm going to throw this at Peter. I'm going to throw this at Steven. I want you, yes, you out there, driving around, listening at your desk, listening from home, whether you've called before or not, I want your take on what your expectations are from your team and fill in the blank with your team. If your team's a... The Toronto Maple Leafs, maybe you just want, hey, I just want it to be fun hockey. I want it to be fun to watch. I want to feel like I have a chance. I want to feel like towards the end of the season uh, I'm into this thing. Oregon State fans for years told me, hey, we just want to be relevant when it comes to, like, making a bowl game. And that was making it if you're an Oregon State fan. Duck fans, different expectations. Duck fans are going, hey, we want to be in the playoff. We want this season to go somewhere that elevates my heart rate. And that's why those two teams finish at the end of the season, both with nine wins, and one of those teams is ready to throw a parade, go to Vegas, and the other team is going, man, this was a real disappointment. It's the expectations of fans. It's the expectations that the programs have for themselves. What are you trying to get out of this experience as a sports fan? What do you need from your team? 503 417 75-75. Let's go to the phones. Keith's in Portland. Keith, what do you need out of your team?
0: Hey, John. Great interview with Uyung uh, uh Saw a lot of grit and a lot of uh, humility in that interview. What I want from the teams is what Oregon State and Oregon got. Uh, in the interview, you know, they saw that Oregon State needed the quarterback. You got DJ. Oregon beat the defense because Sewell leaving and Flo leaving and a lot of the defensive person. Well, now you have know. So I want both teams to do well. But I don't know. There's going to be a shocker next year. I think the Bees are actually going to do it. There's no more uh, being the doormat of the conference. They are actually going to do it with DJ. DJ is going to work miracles over there. And then in a few more years, my title is going to bring that duck season back to Cardiac, too. So thank you for your
2: interview. Yeah. I, I, look, I think it's it's a fun time to be a college football fan. It's a fun time for me to cover college football in this state because the programs matter. They're relevant. The As I mentioned, the five teams that I think are the contenders next season, my way-too-early-to-call-it poll in the Pac-12 uh, it's Utah, it's USC, it's Oregon, it's Washington, and it's Oregon State. And guess what? I think you could uh, throw those five teams into a cup and you could mix it around and spill it out on the table, and I think you don't know what order they're going to come out in. It, it could be USC next season running away with things. It could be Oregon State, a bit of a surprise. But would it shock anybody if Oregon State won the Pac-12 next year? No. I think it would have surprised people this year. But I think next year people would go, no, we saw this coming. It's just been a slow build. And, and here's the other thing. You know, I said this earlier today. I did an interview in Salt Lake City on their uh, ESPN radio affiliate. They're getting ready for the Rose Bowl. They asked me kind of about Oregon State getting DJ at quarterback. And I pointed out, like, you know, we can all take issue with name-image likeness, and we can take issue with the transfer portal because it has disrupted what we believe to be traditional – College football, the college experience, sort of the path of, you know, players going to a school, committing to a school, staying three or four years, getting to know them, watching them grow. It's all been disrupted. It's a new game, but there are some success stories with the transfer portal and NIL that could not have happened before. Bo Nix to Oregon could not have happened. Michael Penix Jr. to Washington could not have happened. Caleb Williams leaving Oklahoma for USC might have made some people in Oklahoma sick, but that could not have happened before. And I think it's interesting to watch this conversation that Utah is having. Like, what is dominating the Utah airwaves and newspapers is, you know, is Cam Rising coming back? That's only a possibility because there's a collective out there that probably wants to throw seven figures at Rising and go, hey, look, you made 500 550 this last year. That's apparently what he made, and now you can get a raise, and you can get, you know, maybe you can make six, seven $700,000 to come back and play another year of college football, and for a fringe NFL prospect, and Cam Rising and Bo Nix are both guys that I think would get into camps, might make rosters, might make practice squads, they're not no-brainers to stick in the NFL, but for those guys... I do think if you're advising a Bo Nix, you're advising a Cam Rising, you're advising Michael Penix Jr., you go, hey, come back for another year. It's an easy five, six, seven hundred thousand, maybe a million dollars in in one or two of these cases. Caleb Williams is making three point two million dollars in NIL money, and come back for another year, and it, you know there's an opportunity there. You heard DJ's dad come on and say it wasn't about the NIL money at Oregon State; it was about the opportunity. I think that's really an important thing. Let's go to Devin, who's in Portland. Uh, he's a Beaver fan. What's your expectations for your team?
8: Hey, John, how you doing? Doing uh, well. What I'm looking for is consistent relevancy with the Bees. Uh, we proved that we were relevant this year, but we can't follow that up with a six-win season. Uh And I think for me, like a, a two-year stretch goal, if once once that college football playoff expands, is to, to, to break into that 10, 11, 12 seed and make it in.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. I, you want to be in that playoff because that's really the validation uh, when it comes to college football. And I think Oregon State's in that conversation. Like, I think Oregon State and Oregon can both expect to start s- seasons here when the playoff expands in 2024 to 12 teams. I think you can expect to start the season thinking, hey, we got a shot to make the playoff. And, you know, and it's kind of like, help me if I'm wrong, Peter, Stephen, like that's kind of the mentality of a Blazer fan. Like you just – Nobody needs a guarantee that the Blazers are going to win a championship or be in the Western Conference Finals. You just want to have that thought in your heart, that hope in your heart, that you can do what the Blazers did a couple of few years ago when they you know, got by Oklahoma City, beat Denver, and got to the Western Conference Finals, like that raised everybody's blood pressure.
4: Yeah, I I would be perfectly satisfied with that. I mean, ring culture I think is uh, kind of a detriment to a uh, uh, a lot of uh, aspects of fandom. Don't get me wrong, I've never seen a Blazers championship. I want one before I die. But for the most part, man, just are the Blazers? Are they one of the say seven or eight teams sort of in the mix, or could they be? You give me some exciting plays. No one on the, the roster, the front office embarrasses, you know, the franchise and the fan base. And beyond that, I'm good, man. I've heard some people say that the
2: Blazers beating Oklahoma City, they got a great matchup that year in the playoffs. They got Oklahoma City and then they got Denver. It was two winnable series. They avoided having to play some of the other teams. I like think it was Houston on the other side of the bracket that looked pretty formidable. And, of course, the Warriors, and they didn't have to play the Warriors till the Western Conference Finals, but some would argue that... That set the franchise back because it was a little bit of fool's gold. Like, maybe they weren't the second-best team in the West. Maybe they were the third or fourth. But they appeared to be the second-best team because of the bracket. Do do you think it's a detriment for teams to kind of be, you know, hey, our goal is to kind of matter and be relevant or – do you see that as a stepping stone to competition and winning ultimately?
4: Generally, I think it's a stepping stone. You you have a young team that's talented, but or has uh, you know prospects, but they're bad. And then maybe they finish five hundred, miss the playoffs. Then they sneak into the playoffs and they get killed. And then one more year goes by where they're say a six seed, and then all of a sudden you know they're cooking. Now I can see that argument with the Blazers that year, with the caveat that well, but it was Neil O'Shea, I don't think he would have done anything anyway. So I can understand why you would say, man, that probably did hamstring them. But did it really? Because he was just going to go cheap anyway, right?
2: Yeah, I, and I think, too, I think it justified. It gave him the pass that he needed to say, hey, we're close. We got to stay with this. You don't want to blow this up now. Nobody needs to fire me now. Right. You know, it kind of it gave him that. But I also thought... I gotta be honest. I was there covering that series against Golden State, and you know, other than Myers Leonard going on a little run during that one game, it wasn't very enjoyable. It was almost like you know, they sort of it hit the ceiling when they, they and they got into the arena against the Warriors, and it was like, oh, you're not that close
4: yeah I mean, it was the Warriors they would basically let them have the first half and it was sort of the the evil Empire, you know the dark yeah. side just there's nothing you're gonna do against us and you did realize how far away uh they were but the reason I love that year and some of my favorite blazer years are say like maybe like the oh you know oh eight season it's when you're expected to be good. It is sort of championship or bust for some of these teams, right? But when you just have middling expectations, you're free to sort of just enjoy the fun moments. And, hey, we won more than we lost, and that's kind of good. But teams and rosters, they all they always go through cycles, right, in every sport. And my favorite aspect of any sort of cycle, it's always right on the come up. You still have the hope. You're finally winning more than you lose. And maybe the end result, you can look back at it a decade later and go, wow, it turns out that was actually a failure, but you still had those fun moments within.
3: Am I wrong to – I don't expect the Blazers to win a championship, but I expect them to be going that direction every year. Like That's my expectation is that they're at least doing something to try to get to that championship level, whether it's last year and they're tanking and that's the right decision, or this year they're going to build and hopefully make a couple trades and get some bench pieces. Like I expect them to be always going for a championship and – even when the Blazers are fun this year, John, like I'm still a little, you know, sort of disappointed that I want them to be better. Like the defense hasn't been better this season and I want that. And so I am a little disappointed in that, even though they have been fun. Like, I think for me, like the expectations is you got to be building for that championship, no matter who you are. And then when you get that opportunity, like when the Blazers did go to the Western Conference championship, they were ready and they had, you know, they took advantage of their situation. That's, that's what I want as a, as a fan, is always to build for that championship. like that is the ultimate goal that I want to get to.
2: I also think it you know it, it sort of it, it's counterintuitive to to think that a team, you know, you expect a team to show up and win a championship and in, in your growth thing is interesting because you know, we've got a wall in our kitchen where that we have the girls stand there maybe once a year and we mark on the wall how tall they are, right? We say, okay, here you are it's 2019 here's how tall you were the uh, you know the 6 year old then 2 years later she comes back and we say oh look at look at you've grown 5 inches you know and uh, we we plot that growth and it's the same thing like I'll, I'll go on a workout kick right let's just say you get on the scale and you go oh man i need to i need to start doing more cardio i need to work out and you do all this cardio and you work out and then you get back on the scale and you and and maybe you don't see the result right away of the progress It's that same feeling when I watch the sports teams that just seem to be moving sideways. It's like you're putting in all this energy. You're putting in all this money. Look what you're paying players. Look at how much money the Blazers have paid players over the years. And it feels like they're in the same place that they were five, six years ago, right? And, yeah, they've had little moments where they played better or maybe they had a, uh, a, you know, went on a run in the playoffs. but. I wanna I, I wanna see that it's building towards something and I think that's why it's so satisfying to see what Oregon and Oregon State are doing. Because if you look at the trajectory of Oregon football over the years, you see the growth from Bilotti, from Brooks to Bilotti, from Bilotti to Kelly, from even from Kelly to Helfrich, Helfrich, Taggart, Cristobal, Lanning, you can kind of see the chart like a stock and you and you go, okay, it's trending in the right direction and now it's up to Dan Lanning to get to the playoff with some consistency when it expands. That's making it. In Oregon State, you can see what Jonathan Smith is doing. It's just like watching the 6-year-old become an 8-year-old, become a 10-year-old, and you're 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 marking on the wall in pencil. You know, Scott Barnes, the AD at Oregon State, probably has a wall in his office. He's like, Jonathan Smith, you know, he's, he's two inches taller than he was last year. So it's like, you know, and I'm not taking a shot at Jonathan Smith's height, okay? you know, Don't at me. But it's... Just seeing the progress and seeing the growth, I think Steven's on to something. I want to know what you expect from your teams and also from your star players, players you root for. What do you expect from them as athletes?
1: 503-417-7575. Back to the Bald faced Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
2: When we go on a vacation as a family, and it's, you know, we got three daughters, so granted, bear with me here. This, uh, it's, um, less of a conversation than I'm making it out to be. But we have a conversation with the three girls, and we'll often say to them, Hey, what are your expectations when it comes to, uh... When it comes to uh, this trip, like, what do you, what is, give me, give us one thing you really want to do. And maybe one of the kids, let's say we're going somewhere warm and sunny. One of the kids will go, Hey, you know, I want to build a sandcastle on the beach. Okay. Well, we make a mental note of that. And another one says, well, you know, uh, uh you know, I, I would like to go snorkeling or something. Okay. We make a mental note of that. And, and we make sure that all those things, uh, you know, we try to check those boxes. Right. So it, what I'm saying is expectations are important for framing people's uh level of uh of uh whether or not they they you know they're getting they're getting out of something what they expect right the expectations frame everything so if you're a sports fan who arrives at a season and you're expecting your team to compete for a championship or make the playoff in the case of the oregon ducks and they don't make the playoff they win nine games have a very respectable season You 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 leave disappointed because you said, "Hey, you know, I expected to. I was going to build a sandcastle in the college football playoff world, and that didn't happen." So, uh, I want to shift a little bit on the conversation we were having earlier, from talking about the expectations we have for teams, to the expectations we have for individual players, and I think this is a this is a interesting conversation in a number of ways, but I feel like our expectations for athletes have shifted in an era where professional athletes enjoy the luxury of free agency and are less loyal than athletes of a prior generation when it comes to teams and i feel like college athletes are now enjoying the transfer portal in a way that you know was not imaginable uh before so give me an idea What are the expectations that you guys have for athletes, pro athletes, college athletes, of the teams you root for? And I also want listeners to weigh in here wherever you are, wherever you're listening. If you're on a run and you're listening, if you're streaming the show, if you're listening out of state, in state, called before, never called before, 503-417-7575, I want to hear from you. What do you expect and what do you need from the athletes you root for?
3: First of all, for me, uh, like, off the court, off the field, just be a law-abiding citizen, please. Like, don't do anything crazy that's going to make it so I don't want to root for you. Like, you know, I don't really have a bunch of teams I root for, but I like to root for players. And, like, there's certain players that I just will not root for because of what they've done off the field. So that's number one. But on the field, um, you know, especially professionally— Based off your contract, like, I want you to perform better than a guy that's not making as much money, right? Like, I I do think that is a real thing. I look at the Blazers, and for a stretch there, you know, Yusuf Nurkic signs a new contract, and he wasn't playing up to par. And I, you know, I was pretty harsh on him um, on my podcast that I do with the Blazers, but, like, now he's playing really well, and I think he's deserving his money. And it's not that, you know, it's not that he's been bad, but you need to be better, and there's an expectation because, as I said earlier, like, it goes to the team and I want the team to ultimately win a championship. So they're paying you a lot of money, and they're investing in you to win that championship. And if you're not providing that, I will be critical of you, especially professionally. And that's why it's going to be really interesting. We talked about this earlier this week, just about the college game and how they're going to start getting paid and how critically getting you get there. But, um, like, based on how much you're getting paid, like, I do feel
2: like you need to be better on the field or on the court for your team. We talked about this yesterday. You know, should – should we have high expectations for players who are getting big NIL deals. And, you know, I want to be clear that I do think, like, the players who are getting these six- and seven-figure deals, they need to perform. Like, you want that money, you take the scrutiny that comes with the money. But I also feel like we need to kind of pump the brakes on applying the, the, the standard we have for professional athletes who are under contract to high level college athletes like there's there's still a difference in my mind between Russell Wilson getting 252 million and failing to perform for the Broncos and Cam Ward at Washington State maybe having some struggles and he's getting $90,000 in an NIL deal one of those two individuals is living in a house that has 15 bedrooms and needed to perform or you know or else he's going to get cut or uh, he's going to get traded. The other guy is still a college student. He's still getting some, uh, he's still getting some pay. Uh, he, he's got a Ford truck. He's got an apartment. He's got some walking around money. But it's not the same level of scrutiny in my mind. But Peter, what are you looking for when it comes to athletes in general?
4: Yeah, I mean Stephen really sort of hit it. Uh, just adding on that, and I guess it's related to the the contract issue. Don't. Don't dog it, man. Just go hard all the time. There's nothing worse than seeing especially a big-money player, you know, not running out of ground ball. You know, growing up before Nolan Ryan was my favorite player, Pete Rose was my favorite player as a very young boy, and the reason was he always hustled. He always gave 100%. You know, you could say a lot of bad things about Pete Rose, it turns out, but one of them was not that he didn't play hard, and that's something you could do at every level. You can be the superstar you can be the the last guy off the bench you can do that in high school you can do that in college you can do that in rec league that's probably the number one thing that i ask my athletes just always give it your all
2: you got to you want him to play hard steven surprised me steven i didn't think you would lead with you know be a good citizen and you led with that why is that important um, i think just because as i've gotten older and being a
3: father like there's certain there's certain crimes that i just i can't take and there's certain things you know you look at deshaun watson and the way he's you know, treated women like I just I just can't get down with that. And like I want you know, I love sports and I work in sports radio, but I understand there are more important things in sports and it's you know, people are more important. So it actually you know, there are certain people that I just I cannot root for um in in all sporting events because of what they've done. It's hard for me to do that. I do think that a lot of people deserve second chances uh but it doesn't mean that i have to root for them and i have to like them.
4: Yeah, parenthood really changes that. I remember being in my early 20s and i'm like "Jail Blazers, bring it on as long as we win, who exactly, cares?" Yeah. And yeah. now, man, i look back and I, I can't believe i rooted for any of those guys.
2: Uh, you know, what bothered me and it probably because i was a parent is um you know, my kid, my oldest who's now 20, when she wanted a Blazers jersey as a kid. And when she was younger, i really had to go, "Ooh, not that one." I know too much about mm-hmm. that guy. Oh, not that guy. He's a registered sex offender. You're not wearing that one. Uh, but so I think in this era, one of the great corrections that has come from the jailblazers Blazers era is that I think by and large the players on the team are likable, good citizens, not getting in trouble, stand for some of the right things. Like you know, we don't need. I don't need the athletes to be angels. But I want if they're wearing a headband, I want to go. Is that a halo? Just for a second, you know. Like I, I don't, I don't. Nobody ever did that during that era of Blazers basketball. Uh, coming up, uh, Bronny James, Sierra Canyon. Uh, they're going to get matched up with West Lynn High School tomorrow night at the Les Schwab Invitational. Why is that important? We'll talk about it next.
1: You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
2: Les Schwab Invitational going on uh, in Hillsboro. West Lynn uh, knocked off defending state champion Tualatin in a quarterfinal game that just ended. Uh, Jackson uh, uh the uh, Oregon commit, Uh, playing well for West Lynn. Uh, Waiting on the horizon, guys, Sierra Canyon playing a game uh, against Central Catholic that will tip off at 8.30 tonight, a couple hours from now. And winner of that game gets West Lynn. Uh, Bronny James playing for Sierra Canyon. You guys interested in seeing that game tomorrow night? 8.45 would be the semifinal uh, where West Lynn would be playing Sierra Canyon.
3: Yeah, I mean, Bronny James... I think uh, as time is going on, it seems like he's becoming more and more of a real-time, a big-time prospect. Like, before it seemed like he was more just his name, and now it's like, okay, he's starting to actually, you know, grow into his basketball skill set. I know he had a good game last night. I believe he had six threes in a short period of time. So, uh, yeah, like, I think it's very intriguing to see what he's going to do because, you know, Michael Jordan, he had a couple sons, and they played D1 basketball, but they weren't you know, as hyped or as good as Bronny James or the younger one, Bryce, is supposed to be. So it will be really interesting to see, like, how good this kid really is as he gets older. So to see him, I think, in high school, I mean, you can go back just years at the Les Schwab Invitational just seeing these, you know, stars before they were actually stars in the NBA, seeing them back in high school. So I, I think it's a really cool thing. Um, and as an, as an alumni of the Les Schwab Invitational, I played in it back in the day. I uh, would definitely like to go back.
2: Where is Bronny James going to end up playing where does he go and you know the nike schools are all over him offering him jobs but like six seven years ago duke and kentucky had given him like standing offers i think right now it's memphis it's usc it's ohio state north carolina central north carolina a and t it's not what you would think it seems
3: like ohio state I know there was talk Oregon during the summertime. I think Oregon would be an intriguing school if they think he's a good enough prospect just with Nike being around there. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's all those Nike schools. But Ohio State, I think Ohio State probably would be the spot if I had to pick right now.
2: I just tweeted out a photo of Dana Altman at the Westland-Tualatin game. He met with uh, Jackson Shelstead after the game. That's his commit, who's going to Oregon next year. I think it's interesting. I wonder if he'll stick around to see Bronny play.
0: Dana I mean, you might Alderman, as
2: well, right? Oregon. Might as well. You're yeah, there.
3: You might as well. stick it out. But, uh, I mean, Shellstad, he's a, he's a really good player. I mean, my brother used to coach at Westland. He just raves about that kid, how good he is.
2: And uh, played some football this year, so that was interesting to see. We had him on the show. But uh, I think it's interesting to kind of watch this and to know that this tournament is happening right here in the state of Oregon our, your our backyard, your backyard. And uh, fun to see what happens late tomorrow night is the potential for Sierra Canyon and Westland to meet. Uh, and Bishop Gorman on the other side of the bracket, some other good schools. So uh, it be fun to see who ends up in the championship game and how that goes. But big win for Wes Lynn and Tualatin. You know, Tualatin sort of had their number in big win for West Lynn. By the way, I noticed Tualatin, the the boys' basketball team at Tualatin, uses men's instead of boys. Do you guys know this? Do you can notice this? Mm-hmm. I okay. haven't, no. So on Twitter... Tualatin Boys Basketball is known as At Men's Tualatin. Tualatin Men's Basketball. That's what they call themselves. Do you see the uh, the uh, leap that they've made there?
3: Uh, I do. Like, what, what would be the reasoning for that? Is it for uh, like they're we're trying men- to be more professional NIL type of deals or what?
2: Right, we're men and your boys? I don't know.
3: Is it, you yeah, know? Is it just trying to psych psyche the other team out?
2: Yeah, I guess so. I don't but- know. I don't know. I saw that and I went, that's interesting. Because I know, you know, it's a big, you know, as a, it, in my newspaper days, it was a big deal if you are writing about girls basketball to make sure that when you say girls basketball, you're talking about high school girls. Right. Because you don't want to say girls basketball talking about college women because it's disrespectful. But I think it's a little bit of a twist on that with Tualatin going, hey, we're men's basketball like we're college and we're playing against boys uh but we're we're the men so i think that's really interesting i mean i guess if you win state titles you can do what you want right <laughs> i guess so but they have 227 followers you know mm. you got to you got to up it you it's, know yeah,
3: that's a weird flex then yeah
2: it, it is a straight this is a men's club it's not a boys club uh anyway We'll talk more about that as it develops. Maybe we'll get somebody from the Les Schwab Invitational on the show to talk about those matchups that are coming up tomorrow. We will dissect Oregon's bowl performance in the Holiday Bowl. We'll talk more about Washington. On tomorrow's show, Greg Biggins, the national recruiting expert for 24-7 Sports, will be joining us to talk about recruiting, the fallout, what does it all mean, All of that ahead. Peter Sampson, what do we have coming up next right here on 750 The Game? The Uh, Pulse with Peter Sampson. Yeah,
4: we have The Pulse. Uh, Some uh, heated tempers in the NBA going to kick that around. Is Gary Payton II ever going to come back? And uh, we're going to visit the MLB hot stove a little bit. There's a team out there that's doing it right right now. Is it all right if I stick around and just listen? You are welcome to join All us. Right. Yeah. I,
2: I encourage you as a listener to stick around and listen as well as Peter Sampson will light it up with The Pulse coming up next. All right, grab a podcast of the BFT if you need it. We had great interview earlier in the show with Big Dave, and we're back tomorrow with another great radio show.